This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash laser time and let them help you tell your story. Sean Penn is Sam. Tupac has juice. Kathy Bates fries green tomatoes and Tim and Eric waste a billion dollars this week on 302010. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine taking you on a little journey through the movies, TV, video games, music, news, and so very much more that occurred 30, 20, and 10 years ago to this week. This week being January 21st to the 27th, 2022, which I never say and is only going to confuse me as I try and say the next part. As we explore what was released, what cool stuff we were doing, partaking in, listening to, going to see in 1992, 2002, and 2012. I did it! Because I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. And I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm an alpha wolf who wants these Irish actors out of her goddamn dead! <laughs> Fucking Irish actors are always bothering me. I got that one. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and Angela. Angela is the boss. Angela. Angela. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So I understood both those references, but they're the things that, like, I can't understand why the rest of the world cares about at all. So, but we cannot wait to talk about those because there's so much wonderful crap I used to love, but upon revisitation, <laughs> doesn't hold up very well this week that I cannot wait to talk about. Again, we are in. The part of the 90s where uh, my taste is maturing, so that's really fun for me. We're post 9-11 in our releases, so we're a little less sad. And then we're in 2012, mm. which I just consider like a year. Oh, I finally have a good job and a stable place to live. Girlfriend now. Oh, things are finally coming together for me. Ten years later, they suck and the pandemic's <laughs> happening. Nothing is like that. <laughs> but yes, I cannot wait to share the show with you. As well as our executive producer, Wes. Wes G. He knows who he is over on patreon.com slash laser time got a bunch of bonus content for you up last week we're going to try and get you some more this week that's for our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time at the five dollar level we go deeper into the video games we went deeper into ghostbusters afterlife and matrix resurrections on laser time we have a bunch of best ofs bringing them in pretty late best of 2021's movies tv and then hopefully movies again you'll see anyway let's move on to 30 2010 biz wax it's 1992 Dilulu. Uh, we are January 21st to the 27th in 1992, and the news your parents could not stop talking about on the, on the 26th of Jan, Boris Yeltsin announces that Russia will stop targeting United States cities with nuclear weapons. That's a damn lie. <laughs> I know. It's well, like, well, okay. So I remember reading about this news at the time and being like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. The Cold War is over. But what this meant in 1992 was that they just removed the automatic targeting, mm -hmm. which could be put back in in like five minutes, like yeah. uh, under five minutes anymore. So, All right. I guess it's, that's a step forward I would guess for even then avoiding it, Armageddon. It's, it still sounds like the relationship equivalent of Russia saying to America, I love you. And I saying, you're pretty cool too, Russia. Uh, <laughs> did we stop aiming guidance missiles at their cities? I bet we didn't. I bet we did not, or even agree yep. to it. Yep. Uh, but nuclear armament, it used to scare us much more than a pandemic, and I, I sort of wish we had it back. It was a lot more understandable to be scary about scared about this rather than like the rise of fascism, new Nazis, 
and income inequality. But <laughs> give me nuclear war every day. That I can understand. I can set my watch by. That's true. There's nothing you can do about it. It's right. You just can be scared like, eh, just like anything else. Uh, yeah. Hand that rocks the cradle. Still number one at the box office as we get into movies this week. And there God are damn. weirdly a lot of movies. And, and, and uh, nothing similar, really. Holy shit. Sure. Yeah. It's just something for everybody week. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me blow through two Aussie movies really fast. Hurricane Smith, starring Carl Weathers and Jurgen Prochnow, where he plays <laughs> an oil that. rig worker. Oh. Which is weirdly going to come up by the end of the show again. You've and then... got exploitation in my Ozploitation. You've got Ozploitation <laughs> in my exploitation. Holy Lord. Um, but this right. is really interesting to me because there's not a whole lot of films out there with an African-American protagonist who goes overseas to be a fish out of water. I can hmm. think hmm. of Shaft in Africa. There you yeah. go. And not Nothing a whole else. lot of other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is that is true, especially. In- I mean, coming to America is the reverse of that, mm-hmm. but it's still a fish out of water story. True. Which I, I wouldn't learn for years later how racist Australia was, or still kind <laughs> of is, yeah. uh, because it's you know to me, I all I knew was Young Einstein and Susan Powder. And this wait. film uh, taught me the worst derogatory term for Americans I've ever heard in my life. Ooh, give me, give me. You can call so, it. I'm one. Ooh, is uh, it Seppo? It's septic. Yes. Um, which is short for septic tank. So Aussies, when they want to be derogatory towards Americans, they call us septics, meaning we are poop. Tanks of shit. Yeah. Where do we get shit. that from? There's no way there's not more septic tanks in fucking Australia. For God's sake, there's no way yeah. there's plumbing. It's, it's descended from Cockney rhyming slang. I see. Yeah, where something rhymes with something else. Apples and pears equal stairs. So what was, Dog and bone What did we originally phone. rhyme with? Peptic? Hectic? No, like yank. Harrison Ford, septic tank, yank. Oh, I don't get Cockney rhyming. I do not. It's it's the yeah, worst freestyling the never, world has ever known. And it's it's <laughs> never worked here. And then what else? Also, okay, we also have another uh, Aussie film, The Efficiency Expert, aka Spotswood, which has Anthony Hopkins, Baby Ben Mendelsohn, Baby Tony Collette, Baby Russell Crowe in it, and Alwyn Kurtz. And it's kind of like up in the air. Yeah, that's Kevin Bacon movie? I mean, it's it's about a guy who comes in to fix a company. But like, if you've ever seen like Rescue Bar or Rescue Restaurant TV shows where the owner doesn't want it to change a thing Shut it when down. the restaurant is failing, mm. that's what happens in this movie. The owner is losing money, is near bankruptcy. He brings an efficiency expert who says, you should really change this. You're losing money. And he goes, I don't want to change anything. And the efficiency expert is worn over and realizes that uh, it's okay for a company to lose money. So this is a care of each other because they're a family. Yeah, it's a it's a clothing manufacturer, not like designing, but just like physically building. And in this film, they say, you know, the future is really going to be in exporting these to other countries. And the owner is like, no, 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 it's not. Um, but oh, it totally was. It, I looked up the biggest clothing manufacturer in the U.S. has 300 employees. It makes 24 million a year. The biggest in the world has 85,000 employees and makes 59 billion per year. Jesus. So yeah. that's not exactly a industry that thrives in the first world. No, I'm depressed. This is true, unless it's something like very specific like they're making kangaroo undies i don't know <laughs> kangaroo undies they're no kangaroo leather leather is fantastic though yeah it really? is. on a, on a oh, slab of vegemite so, i'll eat it all so day so soft oh i, I don't want people to you know kill kangaroos for their skins but they're so fuzzy yeah, every once in a while you gotta knock one of those guys out you see that viral video of that dude punching a kangaroo to get his dog back it rules yeah 
Uh, oh yeah, the, they will fuck you up. Never yeah. fight a kangaroo. Oh, God, they that's are why you should vicious, just leave them alone. Just vicious brutes. Let them be. They're as tall as you. It's so strange. <laughs> I love them. Um, I love them so much. And then I mo- love watching them fuck dudes up. Me too. And then, all right, moving on to the erotic thriller portion of the evening, Love Crimes. Love Crimes with Sean Young, Patrick Bergen, Amelia Walker, James Reed, which is about what a lady DA goes undercover to try to find this serial killer posing as a photographer, which. I mean, good on you. That actually happened a bunch of times. But then she's like, is she pulled into his erotic web? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I want to commit love crimes, too. Yay, this is this crimes. is Stockholm Syndrome is sexy. The movie. <laughs> mm. I mean, this was made by a certain Harvey. And mm. I can't. Oh, speaking help. of love crimes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can't help thinking he added something because uh, Sean Young had never read the script before she started this. She just took it to take it to uh, pay off Mr. Harvey. Then he started changing the script. And I got to wonder, because this mm-hmm. has a lot of, this is someone's fetish screaming <laughs> at me as, as you watch it. Yeah, I believe it's directed by a woman. And here's a shock. He did not treat her with much respect and took the movie away and fucked around with what? it. We're talking about Weinstein? And then released a director's cut that was not a director's cut. It just had more erotica in it. Hmm. Oh, Weinsteins. That, I guess that is weird to think about something Miramax kind of specialed in before that like renaissance in 94. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got foreign nudity. Yep. <laughs> you can't see that every day. Love crimes, ladies and gentlemen, love crimes. Yeah. All right. All those were like, eh, whatever. Predictable, I guess. But, you know, there's someone's favorite movie somewhere. Let's talk about a couple. We got two landmarks for very different reasons this yeah. week. And very different portions of the country. Yeah, this is like the best counter-programming I have ever seen. But for two audiences that never get fancy movies for them, or at least very rarely, Black Folks and Chicks. We have one of the biggest chick flicks of all time, and we have one of the best Black teenage movies of all time. Maybe. This is the one I I get weird feelings about having read. I loved this movie. Loved this movie. Partially, it features... I don't want to go off on any rant here, and I'm not asking a question to the audience, but maybe I am. The mm-hmm. best in-movie arcade I've ever seen. <laughs> Forgotten Worlds, Arkanoid, in the original Street Fighter, which serves as a metaphor for what's happening in the film. Yeah. And wow. I think Street Fighter 2, when this was filming, was probably just getting big, but it was too big to appear in any movies. But there's a ton of Street Fighter 1, which is a very rare game <laughs> in, in, in Juice, in this movie, which has... And I wasn't so much how shocked how young everybody is, but how fucking skinny. Every <laughs> if you mm. think if you think we didn't start adding shit to the food in the in the nineties, look how skinny Samuel L. Jackson is. Cindy Heron, maybe Collie Kane, Jermaine Huggy Hopkins, Tupac Secure, and uh, Omar Epps. In Can I just say let's start with Omar Epps, age eighteen. 18. Tupac Shakur, age nineteen. Yeah. And, and his Babies. real big Babies. movie deb- debut, given that his last yep. movie was nothing but trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, he was part of Digital Underground, but like his solo album just came out a couple months ago. And, and now he, he stars in a movie. And we'll see how that goes for him. The movie is called Juice. Q had a life. I got a DJ Saturday night. I'm not trying to miss that for nobody. Bishop had a plan. What is you scared? Q got a break. G, Q! Bishop got a gun. Hey, you have to shoot him. Now it's a matter of who got the juice. I think Bishop lost him. No, killed him. I'm the one y'all need to be worried about. Juice 
rated R. That is, that is the beginning song from the film, but it still sounds like the Ocean's Eleven DVD menu music for some reason. <laughs> Juice, a movie I deeply loved and still think is so great and worth watching and mm-hmm. recommended. It just it seemed very important, like on the level of Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society, and on this viewing, like it is not. In fact, some of no. it makes it feel like it's written by a white person. Because it's not yeah. so much about inner city struggle. What happens if your best friend becomes addicted to murder? <laughs> well, I, I, I had a theory. I, I want to pitch this to you guys. Do you think Bishop is trying to commit suicide by cop because he keeps going for more insane things that are guaranteed mm, there, to get him in trouble? There's something in it like, that, that's not talked about with his father being like addicted to prison according to somebody else and like just a permanent ward of the state that he's giving money to but also has an odd relationship with i think that could totally be in there but like that would be real hidden subtext or it's like maybe in an alternate cut of this movie because because yeah, i think he just doesn't care i mean that's like he's not I, actively seeking death but he doesn't care if it arrives yeah okay. exactly and i think that's because I, I have to admit, I knew this by the soundtrack more than the movie. Yeah. I had never seen this movie before. And really? I feel like such a jerk because I'd heard it was really good. And I really liked it because there is a, only a little, there's like 10% of this is an important message movie in it. Yeah. And most of the rest of it is a character study and a thriller. And a, like, like a all horror shoved movie. together. Like, like, yeah. a, like a horror movie, a, a violent pursuer of everyone in his friend group, which is inherently fun that's why i'm not shitting on the movie it's just like what if your friend snapped and now you're like stuck with him and like is he gonna turn on you next is he's getting really paranoid he's the second he gets a gun in his hand all of a sudden he feels like killing everybody yes and like i like the underlying idea that's like it's not that he started as a psychopath it's that all the pressures around him have pushed him in this stupid direction and it's a stupid violent self-destructive direction but and not what just else are you going to do? Because, because he is bringing down everyone. all of his friends in this film. Everyone yeah. he loves and cares about is now a target. Is, wor- is worse for and knowing him. <laughs> he's planning to frame his best friend, which is a yeah. very bad uh, no-no. Yeah, I think the, I the, the first part of the movie sets it up to be like some tragedy of inner city life. And the rest mm-hmm. of the movie is just Tupac Shakur is a universal monster hunting his friends, which I like, I really like both, but like the message and the importance really gets lost in juice to maybe Tupac Shakur's character at best is, has like a Shakespearean thirst for power. I can kill anybody. Now I have one Mm. gun. (laughs) Yeah. Which I, I I don't know where he's getting bullets to reload it too, because he empties it. (laughs) Like that gun should be empty. Like four different. Yeah. Uh, Hispanic dude. Magic. Four shots. It's it's a magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I was set up to think that it was going to be like Menace to Society yeah. or Boys in the Hood much more. But like, yeah, the first half or so is kind of just about like juvenile delinquents and their mm-hmm. average days mm-hmm. of just ditching school, hanging out, yelling at girls, going to cool DJ contest. Oh, man, that scratch contest. That, that shit. It could. I want to go there. I watched this movie so many times and I never was looking at it through the lens of like such a product of its time. But that is like watching a movie with a guitar shredding contest, <laughs> like, like where two yeah. people do it at once to one another. And it's yeah. not Scott it's Pilgrim like, and funny. It's, it's, and it's like uh, everything I was reading is like so authentic to the time because like one of the, he's working with a, a record. You can see the Def Jam label yeah. on it's like Def Jam is kind of an underground thing still. Yeah, that's the that's the first logo in the movie, by the way. I just wanted to like <laughs> is Def Jam. Uh, the other question I had is, uh, do you two think that Quincy drops Tupac at the end on purpose? 
Uh, well, no. no, that's the thing that that's a reshoot at okay. the end. The end is, yeah, he's hanging off the building, is holding on to his friend, and he slips and he falls and goes, ah. And the reason his scream is so crap is because Tupac didn't want to do it and the director didn't want to do it to mm. like make it be like he make a Disney fell. Death. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to the original ending is, is he kills himself. He says, you, you know, have been so much let better. me go. I don't want to live here anymore. Yeah. Fuck all y'all. Yeah. yeah I, I did find the ending to be a bit of really you're you're giving him the uh, Gaston fall. Yes. The, the Disney uh, Cruella yeah. fall. The yeah. you know, there's so many characters who fall in Disney because that way our hero didn't really kill them. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. using that same in this. And we can keep this G rated because you don't really? see them pop. Yeah. And yeah. it's been pretty R rated the whole time. And then I, I was not a young black kid in the 90s. So maybe I'm not the best to speak on this, but I do have opinions. Maybe it's a great story of masculinity toxic or otherwise because the because the movie at the end yeah. switches to where like, the, like the last line is like you got the juice now like as an, and then he's being congratulated because like you're the hardest man in the world looking for you <laughs> put that <laughs> on your resume he, uh, he's going to jail yeah i mean there's no way he's not going to jail after well, the no, end all those people in the elevator saw that guy with a gun so not talking and to police. apparently none of them called the cops everyone just went to that party <laughs> hid the weapon for him <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I yeah, toxic masculinity is definitely a thing. The idea of like, you know, it's it's like an arms race of how hard at, hard you can be. Yeah. And you know, well, Tupac's character is getting hassled by this really overacting Puerto Rican gang. <laughs> that guy eats so much scenery. I loved it. I was so cool. sad for him to actually get what's coming to because I was like, that guy. <laughs> He's on some other movie set entirely. I'm just pointing. I'm aware that toughness is is a currency in places like this in a way that I'll never understand being from the small suburban area. In that sense, the movie makes all the sense in the universe. I just don't think we should elevate it to the importance of the holy trinity of menace to society and boys in the hood. I, I would actually like try and slot something else in to those great movies of this period. Because Yeah, well, yeah. that's that's part of why I like this is it's not it doesn't feel like an important message. movie. Yeah, I guess so. the, the, speaking of our times, like Pulpy it thriller. is, but it slips it under the under the wire by just being a thriller of like, yeah, what if your best friend? kills your other friend in front of you and now you're afraid of him and you don't know where to run or what yeah, to do based on a script from i think spike lee cinematographer yeah um taking who, over the role of writer director yeah, yeah. And if you've seen like an episode of the goddamn wire or walking dead in the last 20 years it's probably him making his feature debut and all that's pretty impressive it, like it, it's a, again a beautiful period new york movie I, I i don't know it doesn't work in la but new york god a movie shot in New York at the time, just because New York ages in a way that other cities do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, there's definitely, you can watch a movie and go, that's New York in the early 80s. That's New York in the early 90s. That's New York yeah. in the early 2000s. It's looked very, very different. And whereas if you're filming in Vancouver, it's always, it's Vancouver. It never changes. <laughs> what a classic building. Whereas like the beginning, they even show like, oh, that's a genuine Brooklyn chicken joint that is like kind of been diminished in the last 30 years. Uh mm. Love it. Like, that's the kind of thing you only get with, like, a good New York movie. And, yeah. Uh, no, it feels it's definitely shot there on the streets. And mm-hmm. just even little things, like, you know, the inside of people's apartments mm-hmm. just feel real lived in. Feel it really, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, I understand they, these characters. Another dumb video game thing I picked on, uh, yeah. picked up on. I'd never seen, like, a Master System controller, but it's, like, so well-framed in the sh- 
in a shot huh. of one of the houses, like because nobody I knew had a master system. Nintendo was where it's at, but then you live in an inner city neighborhood, you settle for what you got. Even though Almar Epps had three different kinds of Reebok pumps, which my mm. parents wouldn't budge on a single pair of those. Yeah, uh, those were hundred dollar sneakers. He had three hundred mm-hmm. three hundred dollars worth of Reebok pumps alone, and decided to wear different shoes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was thinking shoes. each one of those pumps that went by, I was like, I wonder what that's worth now. <laughs> those were now. immaculate. They were immaculate oh, pumps. They were they were nice. But oh uh, yeah. This is I was God, this makes me sad that it's like where what Tupac could have been. Yeah, he we should say that. He he is instantly like, Oh, this guy's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think the story was he showed up to the audition with a bunch of other rapper friends, not meaning to audition, but was encouraged to and just Took it, took the role from all his boys because uh, yeah. he was that fucking good. Because the way I, again, white guy, and MTV is kind of the only window I have to like the emerging hip hop world. Tupac was more famous for like being cast in things and headlines before I heard his music at all, other than like <laughs> the Humpty Dance. Mm. And, and this, I remember making headlines for this because like there weren't, I, like it's just Ice Cube at this point being a rapper in a lead role. That's what I remember reading about becoming MTV News talking more about Tupac than playing his fucking music. I think that took like another three years before mm-hmm. I, MTV had Tupac's music in rotation. But that, I yeah, don't know. I was a curious percent. remembrance yeah. of mine. It just it, it like it bums me out. Like looking at what happened with his film career, and it's pretty much mm-hmm. this and poetic justice. And then Grid he lock. focuses on his music and slash legal troubles. Mm-hmm. And then he like put there's a couple times here and there and then it's it that's it because he dies so young, yeah. and I just think like there's so many ways oh. that could have gone. Yeah. I mean, there's so many it ways is within the realm of possibility he could have ended up like Ice Cube and be doing family comedies right now. Yeah, yeah. We could and, be yeah. talking about that wacky Tupac comedy with the talking dog. Yeah, that is a thing <laughs> that is possible could have gone. Which Tupac Ice goes Cube out to promote and then endorses Donald Trump, not unlike Ice Cube who had holy lord. Yep. It's also, it does have a view of something that's like I never thought about. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, seeing Tupac shirtless with no tattoos. Yeah. Yes. But also like that was like a moment of like, there's a never thought about that. He's a kid. He doesn't have thug life yet. Or if he does, they've covered it up beautifully. There's a (laughs) guide at the age of 25. And if he were alive today, he would be 51. So who is the same person at 51 that they were at 25? Almost no one. Almost no one. Yeah. Maybe Andy Dick, uh, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he came to mind so fast. But yeah, yeah. And, and I, there's a scene where Tupac's standing next to Sam Jackson. I'm just astounded by how fucking skinny they are. They are. It, it was a before the time, like people started getting jacked for roles, I think. And that, that was just not. So it's a little it feels like a little bit of an 80s film because everyone has a thin 80s normal person build. No one has any muscle yeah. definition. Well, I I do sort of wonder because Samuel L. Jackson was, he's out of rehab at this point, but I mean, he was a crack addict, mm-hmm. which oh, uh, I did not know last this. time we saw him was in Jungle Fever, where he was doing that. He was, he was a yeah. method actor. He was method acting. <laughs> I did, I did so, want to ask. I think that's part of it. It's just like, that guy didn't eat for a couple of there's years. A, there's, that's a, why. <laughs> there's a period in the early 90s where every Sam Jackson character is smoking a cigarette, including this movie, hmm. which is, Something rehab tends to encourage. Like, that's an okay yeah. drug, even though right. it isn't. Well, the logic there is this will kill you in 20 to 30 years. Yes. Stop taking the thing that will kill you next month. Yeah, you're not likely to suck dick or steal your aunt's purse for a cigarette. So yeah, yeah. do these instead. 
and then smoke them to perfection in Jurassic Park. True romance. Do the right thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, hold on that to his butts. Um, <laughs> I, I love people that can type with a cigarette in their mouth I, because I got drunk once and tried that, and I don't understand how people do it. it, it it's something you got to get used to because it will burn your eyes. It you gets need... right in your face. It goes right up your nose. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you got to oh, stick it to the side. I can't, I can't be a cool 30s detective now. God damn it. Why did I even try this? Well, I've, I've cleaned out my computer when I smoked in my house, and it is fucking gross and it's like oh, a, if ew, robots ew, ew, ew. ever get sentience they will be mad at you for what you've done to them for smoking around computers but so don't do it <laughs> or keyboards but but juice i think is still a really fun time capsule wonderful oh yeah had it a great time with it very specific time capsule and just just a solid movie just yeah, uh, yeah it's one of those where i never got bored i always wanted to know what was going to happen next has there been a period film yet set at the u.s's highest crime rate the early 1990s Ooh. Other than other than Grand Canyon, <laughs> well, that oh, was mean at a... the time. That was made at the time. I'm I'm talking about a film like filmed in the last ten years that was like we're gonna try to recapture mm. the inner city life at its worst in terms of crime. The only thing I can think of is that no, that can't be. I was I was thinking mm. of the People versus O.J. Simpson, but that's still not. That's like post that. Yeah, yeah I haven't watched that. Snowfall. I'm not sure when that is set, but that seems like it's late mm. '80s, early '90s. Yeah. Okay. Question mark. Well, Juice recommended, but that's not even the biggest movie of this of the week. And if I there, was betting on which one would have been culture more culturally important and used as shorthand, I would have bet wrong. Because Juice was, the last Juice question, was Juice ever in your vernacular? It is used shorthand here for toughness, man. You got the juice. He's going to take the juice from you, man. You got the juice. You you juice him up. <laughs> I was not familiar with that use until this film. Yeah, okay. So that's what yeah. I remember, too. But then on, on the other hand, we have... Jessica Tandy, <laughs> Mary Louise Parker, who was who was almost cast in Juice. Uh, Mary Louise Parker, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, and Kathy Bates in Fried Green Tomatoes. Gene Shallot of the Today Show says Fried Green Tomatoes stirs the emotions with unforgettable characters. Every performance is splendid. It's a movie to remember with pleasure for a long, long time. I was waiting for that face. Face it, lady, we're younger and faster. Us Magazine calls it touching and funny. What are girls. I'm older and I have more insurance. Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy, Fried Green Tomatoes, rated PG-13. Boom! Uh, Fried Green Tomatoes is out this week, and I did not rewatch it and remember surprisingly little about it, but it, it was one of the most popular PG-13 movies, so it played on television constantly. I saw this mm-hmm. movie a lot as a young lad. Yeah, which is weird because it's another one of these big 90 movies that I somehow just kind of skipped and I just sort of got what it was by cultural osmosis, right. like Juice, and then I watched it Or confuse it with Steel Magnolias. Like, yes, <laughs> I did that I, I, I was going to bring that up. I watched it with my mom, uh, my wife, and my two kids. And my wife was saying she'd watched this film a dozen times when she was young. And then it started playing and she was like, I have never seen this in my life. And <laughs> She was confusing it uh, with oh, no. Steel Magnolias. <laughs> Them Southern women films is all alike. At what point was she confused when there, there was no Sally Field or when Chris O'Donnell got hit by a train? Uh, when Chris O'Donnell got hit by a train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting baby, that. Baby Chris baby. O'Donnell. 
Hey, he is, Chris O'Donnell. He's a little kid. But this is a very moving film about deep female friendship. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the time. Uh, today, it's widely seen as a lesbian film. The uh, reviews at the time didn't seem to notice that. And the author, Fanny Flagg, uh, when she was asked, Great is name. this a lesbian story? Her direct quote is, no, no, no. It's a story about friendship. We are looking at this from 1991 perspective. The 1930s were a completely different time, and there were very close female friendships. So the author didn't consider it a lesbian work, but both the movie and the novel can definitely be read and seen that way, 100%. A hundred thousand percent. I mean, it's... Well, it's it's parallel stories, which we keep talking about. We had it in W.E. last week. Uh, and this time we have a modern framing device with Kathy Bates talking to Jessica Tandy. And Jessica Tandy's telling her this old timey story starring Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker, who Grand Canyon last week. Yeah. And it's about them in the 30s down south. And like they have this close friendship. And then Mary Louise Parker marries a guy who's beaten on her. And then, you know, they go off the the two women go off together and start a diner and the clan show up not expecting Mm -hmm. that in this you know heartwarming movie and there's all kinds of racial tensions and a guy almost gets lynched and then the abusive husband ends up dead and then it's a little bit of a murder mystery wow i was like uh yeah guys um barry stewart masterson dresses as a man and acts as a man the entire goddamn movie (laughs) okay the, the debate today would be not, are they gay? It's, is she trans or are mm. they lesbians? Now, I think that's fair. That's like, you don't have to bring sex into every right. same sex friendship. Like you can have a very, very close friendship that never goes into, it doesn't, it's not romantic love. It's sororal love in this case, but dude, <laughs> come on, cut the lesbian some slack. This is totally a, a, that's a really nice love story between them. Come on. Give them one. They don't get enough stuff. Too horny for Juliet, Georgia. That's probably the case then. Because this, being from the South, this did sort of repopularize the titular food. Oh, I love fried green tomatoes, though. You're I've so never good. had them in my life. I, oh, but uh, I want to now. I recommend, fried everything is great. So I recommend the um, <laughs> Southern Benedict, which is semi-recently swept the North Florida, South Georgia, which is a Benedict English muffin Fried, breaded fried green tomato, pimento cheese, hollandaise, poached egg. Yum. Yum, yum, mm. yum. It's fucking delicious. And I wish I could eat it for every breakfast. And sometimes I do. It, it's mm. really good. Uh, but, but yeah, every member of my family really loved this. For me, it's a high recommend. Even the kids? I went in, even the kids. Yeah. Huh. Both of them stayed mm. the whole time. Where I was, They had the option of leaving and they chose to stay. So I count that as well. Mm. I mean, it was this one is... of the first adult oh. movie for adults they've set all the way through. All right. Nice. Like this, this has such a reputation for being just such the ultimate chick flick because it really is just about like women supporting and empowering each other. Because, you know, in the modern story, Kathy Bates is just really bored with her life and her husband's kind of a dick and she feels purposefulness. He's a huge dick. He's not kind of a dick. He's a, he's a giant inconsiderate (laughs) man who takes her for granted and doesn't do a single nice thing that we can see yeah. it was really in need of a wake up there was a difference from the book book the wife beater is well liked and respected and mm. hides his mistreatment of his wife from everyone in the film he might as well be wearing a devil costume <laughs> with horns and going 
I am evil wife beater. I am evil <laughs> wife beater. I think it would have been better to keep it in the shadows because that's often more true to life. Yeah. But in the movie, you kind of have to go more broad at times to condense a long book form into a 90 to 120 minute film, which is going to be a major theme of the other book to film <laughs> discussion in this episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, that could have been done better because we see him just in scenes alone with his wife where he's terrifying and it's like that is the reality where it's oh no behind closed doors that's where the scary shit happens but no one will believe you because i'm such an upstanding guy in this community because he can put forward a yeah. positive face everyone likes him even his clan buddies it's, it's hard to find someone they like yeah <laughs> once they do that's true. Boy, they attack. i mean and that's back when they really hated catholics too so <laughs> oh yeah I don't know. That's well, yeah, never mind. It's very easy still... for them to imprint on any white person then. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I was also I was waiting to cringe really hard at the white characters treatment of black characters and I was like okay, this could be better, but this is good enough, I guess. Like Well, I think they, it's a fine you know, line because the restaurant is segregated. Right. And it's like that's as good as you're going to get in the 30s. If South. you have your 1930s white character behaving like a 2020 person, it's going to ring false to reality and it's not going to be believable. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if you have them be super racist, the audience isn't going to sympathize with them. So yeah. it's a real balancing act of how realistic can we have the, the racism be? Like, is it a five? Is it a three? Because it, yeah. it can't be a zero. I'm writing this down for my how to be a podcaster. Uh, yeah, well, it's more like <laughs> they, they had like, that's a good 90s version of being not racist it's like that's eh, as good as it's gonna get you know but i was expecting for things that 30 years later would feel cringy and it's like eh, there's no oh, a little bit i don't know you could pay that guy better so he doesn't live in a shack with a dirt floor anymore how about that where else are they supposed to live it's the 30s that's their neighborhood that's true <laughs> you could buy a floor <laughs> I was, really upgrade I've, this house with a floor I was... <laughs> no fried green tomatoes yeah Oh, it, it does. Sure, there's, there's, they're pulling on those heartstrings in kind of obvious ways here and there. But yeah, overall, it was, I, I was glad I watched it. And it was somehow less chick flicky than I was expecting. I don't know why. Hmm. Less hugging and crying than I was expecting. I don't know. Anybody dance around a coffee table singing the Kleenex boxes? Mm. No, none of that. No, uh, none of that. And uh, uh, it's streaming, streaming free on Amazon Prime if you would like to watch it. And then as we move into television. My God, it's the Superb Owl. It's back. It's only been a year, but we got another Super Super Bowl. The Washington football team. <laughs> Do they not have a new name yet? The Guardians? Is that what they're called? I'm still just calling them that. Okay, the Washington football team <laughs> beats uh, Buffalo Bills. This is me laughing at my own teleprompter. Sorry, everyone. The halftime show, this is hilarious. Because I this didn't even great. remember back when Disney produced halftime shows. And they did. And this was a winter theme, but the, all the reviews said this is little more than a promotion for the Winter Olympics, which CBS will start coverage of in a few weeks. That is why, while there is a, a performance by Gloria Stefan, it's 1992. Awesome. She's a good job. Yeah. But then you got to explain to the entire, the biggest viewing audience in America... Uh, why Brian Boitano, Dorothy Hamill, and the Minnesota Marching Band <laughs> are headlining 15 uncut minutes of the Super Bowl. It, 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 is, it blows my mind that for like decades, you had the highest watched television event of the year, and they kept going, 
you know, yeah. you should definitely devote some time to marching bands. Marching bands. Inescapable. Yeah. Inescapable time to marching bands. When they're charging companies the equivalent of a million dollars for per commercial spot, 30 seconds, let's showcase a marching band for multiple minutes. It does, and yeah. that's why it... We're like right at the precipice of halftime shows starting to get good. Yes. And a big it, reason uh, why... This is right where it starts. Yes. Is the counter-programming. Right. Because yes. I think MJ, this Michael Jackson's was, like two years away. This was, this was fucking news, the counter-programming. It was like on the nightly news talking about how crazy this and was. It's, it's, all, it's like the most Fox thing you can think of of that time, the rapscallion really pissing in the eye of the big three networks as it's making its way in the world. During the telecast, I, for, I think they had a countdown at the bottom. They had a they counter. Did. They had a they countdown, had a counter. and they come yeah. at the start of the show. Look, you don't have to worry. See this countdown timer? You're good. Look at it, and you'll be back at the Super Bowl, but watch us and, and tell the timer. Yes, yeah, so what Fox does yeah. it is the brilliant idea to take its breakout comedy show in living color and make a Super Bowl special during the halftime show. And I was a little Fox kid, and they're telling you all week, like, watch the Super Bowl, but when it's halftime, flip over. And watch us, and then we'll tell you when to go back to CBS to finish the rest. It's brilliant, it's brilliant and bold, yeah. and like it's his. There's a in Living Color documentary. I keep meaning to watch. It. I think it's called Homie Don't Play That. That the talk goes into more <laughs> detail on this. But yeah, adds adds a counter to let you know when to switch the channels. This is huge. Like <laughs> just I love this stuff, and, and it, it does it does a live. And Living Color is not SNL, but they do a live sketch comedy show in fifteen to twenty minutes during the halftime show. So a thirteen-year-old me loved that. Mm -hmm. He ate up every sketch of the In Living Color halftime. Show. Damon Wayne's Men on Film hat. I can still never get over. It's just a little football <laughs> hanging, hanging on a, a asymmetrical yarmulke on the side of his head. I loved it. Forty-three-year-old rewatched it for the show, and oh my goodness, I do not have the same humor as my thirteen-year-old self. You don't think it's funny uh, to talk about Bob Greasy? Yeah, the the <laughs> sketches just do not work for me the way they do. Did, uh, when I was a kid. Uh, the one thing that stuck with me is Jim Carrey playing a guy who is desperate to get on the camera during an interview. And he does all sorts of crazy stuff to get on film. And I always think of that skit whenever I see someone mugging behind a live on the street interview thing. It's just like, <laughs> really? What, what are you doing? What yeah, you the, doing? The, the historical significant, uh, significance of this cannot be understated because I do not believe it beat the halftime show in the ratings, but it sent enough of a signal to the people who did the Super Bowl halftime show you need to change or Fox is going to take this audience away from us again and again. Can you imagine if like the first half is a blowout and another channel is offering counter-programming during halftime show? They might not come back. Mm -hmm. So the, I, I believe next year is Michael Jackson popping out of scoreboards as opposed to Brian Boitano and Dorothy Hamill <laughs> dancing around in a winter festival to a marching but band. What would Brian Boitano do? I don't know. If he was here right now, <laughs> I don't <laughs> And then uh, something near and dear to me, this show very rarely acknowledges a season ending, so I didn't know it, but MST3K close, closes out season three with Master Ninja Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> so this does not have the Master Ninja theme song, which, no. um, and Master Ninja 2 does not answer all of the questions raised in Master Ninja 1. Such as, who is this and why are they not in the next movie? Uh, why is this feel yeah, like a TV show? Why did Demi show? Moore just disappear halfway through the film? <laughs> well, the, the the film itself is 
basically about union issues. So, you know, it's it's the exact same as season two of The Wire. The exact same. Oh, that's nice. Uh, definitely the, not two episodes of a failed TV show stitched the, together. No, no. Definitely, definitely not. not. It's, it's the it, Sabatka saga of the Master Ninja series. Totally Master Ninja... Man, it sounds way more interesting than it is, but just terrible air quote movies, two TV episodes shoved together where characters disappear and reappear, Mitchell style. Yeah, but I love it. There's a lovely cameo by a James Bond actor. Really? That's true. George Lazenby pops up in this one, doesn't he? Technically (laughs) a Bond. He was a Bond. Bond. He was a Bond. He's definitely a Bond. A much worse season finale in my opinion and maybe just because my tolerance for clip shows i can't not to i don't want to have to explain clip shows but if you're too young a lot of shows in order to make their episode count for networks for the year they were like ah we don't have enough time to put something together we got to do something cheap we run out of the budget the simpsons did this for almost every season up until like season five or seven another of the most expensive shows ever made was Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. Very, very, very expensive show. Kind of the only reason it was canceled. Um, And they do a clip show. And I remember I saw it here. I'm like, oh, that sounds very clever. I'm going to check that out. It's, It's hosted by a paleontologist hosting a historical show now reflecting on what the dinosaurs are doing back then. But it is a paleontologist paleontologist. studied at Oxford Community College. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have I have never felt something so ADHD from 30 years ago it none of the clips are too fast giving you no context it feels like you're going insane this is like almost unwatchable but it it's it's cute it's also i i gotta throw this out there to you and our listeners i think this may be the first parody of clip shows because this is totally mocking the concept of clip shows with this paleontologist Mm. uh throwing out these things saying wacky things to set up the the clips like he covers up the TV because it contradicts his research. And I can only recall serious clip shows before this. And we're still early Simpsons, so I don't think they've done their parody yet. Yeah, the, the, the most mm-hmm. recent clip show I'd seen was Seinfeld had a 100th episode and does a very good clip show with Michael Jackson music and Superman music. Uh, but <laughs> this is not one of those good clip shows. But a, a good parody, you're saying? Yeah, I, I'm oh, wondering a, if it's would, the first parody I was of saying clip shows. Seinfeld is six years from now and is played completely straight there's Mm. no tongue-in-cheek approach to it and up until now like sitcoms would do clip shows yes they would do them all All the the time time, where Mm. it's you know everyone gets locked in the basement and you remember that one time that we yeah i remember family ties family ties did that perfect uh, strangers did that yeah Yeah, trapped in a place and then right reminiscing pretty much any cheesy sitcom did it Mm mm-hmm but uh, yeah. dinosaurs quietly let you know what exactly they were doing. Understanding the mystery of the dinosaurs is much like putting together a complex jigsaw puzzle. Many pieces are easier to assemble, others more difficult. Still others fall off the card table of science entirely and are lost under the sofa of obscurity or sucked up by the vacuum cleaner of ignorance or chewed up and made unrecognizable by the disobedient dog of time. No, no, that guy is the greatest part of the clip show. Yeah. The clips themselves are just like, this is all over the place. Holy Lord. And it's so odd to think of that show coexisting with the next show because they feel from starkly different eras. eras. But an episode of Who's the Boss, which I just like, if this show is titled that is this the last episode and jr's like no (laughs) no i i I wanted to throw this on because usually you only have 
an episode of a TV show named after itself when it's the pilot episode. Like, yeah. Or the final happen. episode. But this is like the ninth season of Who's the Boss, the 20th episode or whatever. And they're naming the episode Who's the Boss. And that struck me. I was like, oh, are they going to finally address the issue <laughs> that we've been searching for this entire time? Angela's paying the bills. What the fuck, people? Of course he's the boss. But yeah, it does. I watched the entire episode for you, the listener at home. Why and... do you keep doing this to yourself, <laughs> JR? Well, you know, deep self-loathing. But <laughs> I liked garbage as a youth. And I watched so much of Who's the Boss. And watching it now, I can't understand that at all. Watching this entire episode was just like, end, end. <laughs> I, I, it, and only because I think it's the first or second time it's been brought up on this show ever. I watched it all the time, but I also, it might have been because Tony Danza was Italian and like the death of that Italian accent you hear in Scorsese movies was all around my house when my relatives, we'd go to the relative's house and I just, talking about who, we got to watch Who's the Boss. And I just, I remembered that permeating my entire house an oddly <laughs> accented title what's put on who's the boss what's, what's with tony the, dancer with tony dancer come on he's really <laughs> gonna give it to angela uh it, it might have been my cousin angela saying that um that's how they said her name yeah moving to the games of 1992 i don't want to tease what's going on in video game apocalypse this week because those boys have been on fire if you're a member of our patreon but there's been way too much Golden Axe talk happening today. I've had to <laughs> shut them off and like, don't tell me any more of this shit. But Golden Axe 2 is out now on Genersis. It's a bit faster, a bit more fo- polished, but it's 100% Golden Axe <laughs> 1 with just minor adjustments. If you played the original, you played this one, and those freaking wizards still steal your freaking spellbooks, man. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Don't they have them of their own? Because they're think. wizards. But they're How do you get to be a wizard if you don't already have one? And these goddamn wizards come and steal your spell books. You guys are naively assuming wizarding is a job that pays money to buy spell books. This is how they get them to begin with. They steal them from mortal barbarians. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I really delayed that. Uh, Shuttle this space flight simulator is out because uh, what Will Wright and SimCity has kind of ushered in is the renaissance of the sim. That's something. You'll but see it is not on that level. No, this is an Encarta article with a really clunky flight program <laughs> that you can only do landing. Like if you've ever gotten <laughs> pissed off at the Top Gun landing part of the NES game where it's like, this is horrible. I can never land this. That's all you do in this. The only thing you do is the most boring part of any flight sim. Land the plane. And then lastly, but if uh, I wanted that, I would just watch Space Camp again. <laughs> That's like the whole problem they have. I really was. Because that fucking robot. idiot robot wouldn't listen to Tom Skerritt and he sent him into space. Uh, <laughs> lastly, out video game wise this week for the Nintendo is Bucky, Captain Bucky O'Hare, doing oh. so much more than any rabbit would dare. I wish I loved more because it is undeniably awesome, even though it is undeniably a Ninja Turtles ripoff game, but the arcade version of this is just stellar great ninja turtles ripoff game the nes game is a mega man inspired game mm-hmm. and i really feel like if this had come out three years earlier yeah. Super it Nintendo's would be out. part of the conversation it would be up there yeah. with mega man and castlevania and all the other really great non-nintendo nes games but because it came out after the snes came out it's utterly forgotten but it's a it's a very solid nes yeah. platformer 
with creative level design and multiple characters. Like Darkwing Duck, man. And <laughs> I was wondering if Bucky O'Hare is the first mix of talking animals in sci-fi. I mean, Ninja Turtles. Or you mean in space? Yeah. In space. Um, oh, I was, no. was going to say Blind the Witch in the Wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Not fantasy, but... Not uh, fantasy, but there's, space. There's, space. There's already yeah, a green space. rabbit in the Star Wars comics right now. Oh, okay. that's true. That's <laughs> embarrassing. Right. He's, no, he's back and canonized. He totally exists Good in the new continuity. <laughs> um, Is he talking animals? Moving and now, mo- where, when does U- Usagi Yojimbo start? Uh, well, Usagi Yojimbo Samurai uh, times, not really space times. But, um, uh, but it's a 1980s uh, comic yeah. book, I believe. Yeah, so there you go. It's, but then he gets folded into the Ninja Turtles somehow. Uh, yeah, oh. it's just because the the creators were friends. It's oh, no, yeah. nothing more than that—a polite deal they made with one another. And I have an action figure of them from when I was a kid. It's just kind of great. And then uh, a nineteen literature books, non comicy. We have Rising Sun by Michael Crichton, and I love who wrote this description. <laughs> so, Jr., what did you say about this? Japan is going to take over the world. <laughs> so, younger listeners probably have no emotional connection to it but in the early 1990s and late 80s there was a lot of worry about japan yeah japan was going to buy everything they were going to take everything and then their economy the japanese will out. eat us alive That's yes. from the simpsons yes. <laughs> but there was a lot of anti-japanese media at the time in a way there's really not anti-chinese media right now yeah um at the time japan and now japan is a Highly functional democracy with a large respect for human rights. China is a very brutal tyranny, which is currently engaging in genocide against the Uyghur people. And yet one of them, there was a lot of bashing and one of them there's not. And I can't see any reason for that other than people want to sell to the 1.3 billion Chinese and the 130 million Japanese just weren't on the the same scale. The Japanese are buying. You had 1.3 billion reasons why. That's why. The Japanese are are buying less of our shit than we're buying of theirs where that's the case is not reverse, but more Chinese people are buying our crap than the Japanese were. But also China's letting everyone borrow the money. They are. Hmm. So they're, China is our creditors. There's no reason <laughs> to make propaganda against them. Unless you're, unless you're South Park, which is fucking hilarious to me. Uh, <laughs> mm. It also uh, does get kind of racy. Yeah. <laughs> and then music of 1992. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Oh. Uh, is this, this not the first, though? No, no. We've had these a bunch now. I was... Actually, I think we covered the first in like 86. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... They're early enough that we still have some that's like, well, duh, how they're not in there yet. Well, because they haven't been doing them too long. This year's induction, all of these major awesome bands, Bobby Blue Bland, so probably the one you haven't heard of because he's a blues guy. Booker T and the MGs, fuck yeah. yeah. Johnny Cash, absolutely. Isley Brothers, Jimi Hendrix Experience. I appreciate them putting in the band, not just the person. Mm-hmm. Sam and Dave and Yardbirds. Awesome. So I, I never Fucking associate awesome. Johnny Cash with rock and roll. Well, he's Sam a guy and- who kind of... How about everything. Sam and Dave? <laughs> yeah. That's like well, Sam and Dave's R and B, I guess. The, the farther back you get in rock and roll, the the lo- larger group of music we would include. Yeah, okay. I, I think. Yeah. And now but, it's just even yeah, easier. Johnny Cash is 
Yeah, Harken back to a time when the guy singing was playing an instrument. There, that's what it, that's what rock and roll is to the Rock mm. and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. It, do you do you have more than one guitar on stage? Mm-hmm. You are now rock and roll, no matter what else is going on. So what's coming out this week? We got new releases. We got Diva by My Sister's Machine. Three words I've never said before right now. Uh, High on the Happy Side by Wet Wet Wet. Them I remember. Great name. Spooky by Lush, and finally by C.C. Peniston. Peniston? Peniston. 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 Yeah. Uh, we played the song already. Let's let's close out with All for Love by Color Me Bad, because it is wonderful. Oh, this is like almost like the 90s have arrived with Color Me Bad in clothes and musical style. All for Love, and but stay right there. We got a lot to talk about in 2002. Don't move. If you're a content creator like the good folks here at Laser Time, you know how inefficient and demanding the creative process can be. Sometimes you just want a huge library of content to pull from, and you need that perfect clip, image, sound, or piece of music. Well, good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge demand-driven library of 4K or HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan gives you unlimited downloads from over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad right now. So whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's important to you, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash laser time. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash laser time. With Sorrow by Bad Religion off of The Process of Belief. I didn't think we'd ever come in with a Bad Religion song. They've been putting albums out for like 40 years. All right. I'm trying to mix it up. Yeah, haven't haven't heard a Bad Religion song played in a podcast that wasn't associated with Crazy Taxi in a long time. Welcome to 2002, January 21st to the 27th. Here's your other new releases, music-wise, from this time. You got Built from Scratch by The Executioners. Bloodsport by The Sneaker Pimps, oh, their last album until last year. What? Yeah. I didn't know they took 20 years off. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn they were on the Spawn soundtrack. Uh, and then Spiritual Minded by KRS-One. You Got It Bad by Usher is still number one. And you gotta love news stories like this. 2002, just to let you know where we are as a culture. 2002, a little company that nobody liked <laughs> has finally turned a profit. That company is Amazon. Amazon makes its first profit. And I forget, we were able to report, like, it wasn't that long ago they were debuting as a company, a super bare-bones book website. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, I... Uh... I bought stock when they actually first premiered, oh, and shit. I uh, sold it because um, <laughs> I made double my money, and I was like, hey, this yeah. is great for a college kid. I'm going to buy beer now. Yes. This, <laughs> this stock will never, ever grow higher. There's no way somebody will base billions I, of dollars of personal worth off of Amazon stock. 
I looked at it and I was like, this company is not making money. It's not going to make money anytime in the next couple of years. I'm getting mm-hmm. out while the getting's good. And yeah, I still kick myself to the day. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of time in there where they, they didn't turn a profit after this. Oh, too. yeah. This is just the first quarter that they ever turned a profit. And well, they lost yeah. money after this. Um, and we'll lose money next year. And the next year after that. Other Citizen Kane lines attributing to Amazon. Uh, <laughs> movies of 2002, Black Hawk Down. Loud or not, still number one, Diana. Number one yep. at the box office. A movie that is definitely not number one at the box office, but kind of tested my limits of Todd Solondz. Mm, yeah, uh, fair I was enough. sort of like, I don't know that I want to watch this guy's stuff anymore. Because happiness was funny but like <laughs> cruel and this is like oh you're oh, just gonna do the like blackest dark comedy that ever you're was just, made yeah you're just gonna do mean magnolias for the rest of your life and he sure enough did <laughs> with a, oh my god that's the perfect way to describe this movie it's so mean <laughs> oh selma blair is getting fucked and forced to say the n-word that's the thing i remember and it's yeah uh, and, that, that yeah. scene really stuck out with me did, uh so her... did we see the red box version or the no, there's no. an edited version and there's an unedited version oh. to get oh. an R rating. There is a sex scene in this movie when it was released in the States where there's just a big box over the action. Wow. I did yeah. not see the box. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you saw. It's the, yeah. storytelling. Uh, it, was, it was a hard scene to watch because yep. the African-American teacher is using his power over his student to make her race play in a very doesn't really seem that consensual way to me. Mm-hmm. But then the student goes on to read a allegedly fictional story about that encounter to his writing class, which, wow, that's <laughs> yeah. a power move. Deeply yeah. uncut with a crazy cast. Um, what do we got? P- Selma Blair, Paul Giamatti, John Goodman. I almost saw Steven Weber, but that's Mark Weber and Steven Rosen. But my absolute, I'm a big Conan fan. And mm-hmm. Conan O'Brien has no more significant role in any movie ever than in a fantastical dream sequence in this where he's appearing as himself <laughs> in the... Su- it's very strange. If you like that White Stripes video with him in it and want that on a cinematic level, yeah. here And also, go. there's so many, hey, it's that guy's in storytelling. Yeah. Alexander Berkeley, Julie Haggerty, Julie Haggerty. Uh, Lil Jonathan Osser and Lupe Ontiveros. It's mm. probably my favorite part. Because, oh. um, yeah, Mean Magnolia is a great way to put this. So there are... Cruel. Two segments in storytelling, one called fiction, one called nonfiction. And the fiction one is about Selma Blair as a student in this writing class. And nonfiction is about like a reality show being filmed or like a documentary about this teenager who seems just so dead eyed, but maybe he isn't, but his family's all fucked up. And there was a whole third other story I did not know about starring James Vanderbeek that was cut from this movie. Really? Hmm. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it has ever been made available. I cannot imagine it's very high in demand because the bloom was sort of off the rose with uh, Solens. Am I saying his name right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Welcome to Dollhouse Happiness. And this got okay reviews, but other people are like, is this all this guy's going to do anymore? Like, these aren't really fun to watch anymore. (laughs) He's just going to take a bunch of character actors and torture them and the audience. Yeah. And, And for a different kind of torturing the audience. I've had a laser time topic I've pitched to everybody. And if people mm-hmm. don't want to do it, we won't do it. But I do think the audio is funny. And that is the topic would be introduced by Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder about never going full R word. Oh. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants yeah. to do it. And that's okay. I get it. But like, 
I think this is the last time I saw that happen on a major motion picture level. I feel like this movie, its legacy is that scene from Tropic Thunder yes. because no one ever talks about I Am Sam I anymore am... except as an example of going full R word. Yes. And, yeah. and like there, oh, there's God. an article from the LA Times praising this performance, which I don't get. I saw this in the theaters and like people Why? were laughing. They were <laughs> oh, laughing no. at this. Uh, it was... He was nominated for Best Actor. Yeah. Okay, yes. so we, we can mock it, but some section of the 2002 Academy thought this was literally Oscar-worthy performance. No, there's there's an <clears throat> L.A. Times, uh, we don't know what exact mental ailment Sean Penn has, but it's clearly showing signs of autism, and it's just like, wow, you don't know what autism is yet. No. Holy Lord. Mm. Holy Lord, we don't know what that is. And uh, um, But I am Sam, Sean Penn says, plays a... Oh my God, you take this, Diane. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this at all. He he plays a guy with an intellectual disability. Who, according to the movie, has a seven-year-old intelligence. Mm -hmm. But raising an eight-year-old. also in charge of his daughter. Mm -hmm. Right. He's played by Dakota Fanning, who, if this movie gave us anything besides the Tropic Thunder rant, uh, it gave us Dakota Fanning. This Mm -hmm. is her big breakout role. Yes. Good for her. And so he's trying to take care of his daughter. And the daughter is realizing, like, I'm becoming smarter than my dad and I'm going to have to take care of him for the rest of his life. And I also, and then like gets Michelle Pfeiffer involved as a lawyer to try to make sure that the state doesn't take her away from it because he loves each other so much because we're a family. Mm. Oh boy. I I would not trust someone with a seven year old's intellect to raise a child. I do not think that is a recipe for a good parent. Not without support. Not without support, you know. And that's what this movie ends with. It gets a happy ending where the foster mom basically decides to split custody with Sean Penn. It's not really 100% clear how that'll work, but it's a big, big happy ending as Mm. the director tries to drain the tear ducts from your eyes with a rusty needle and no anesthesia. (laughs) And to make the movie even more sickening. The soundtrack is a bunch of twee Beatle covers. Like, no one can afford Beatles songs in their movies, so they do all Beatles covers. Uh, what is right. Show but, Crow, Black Crows, Ben Folds 5, uh, Amy yeah. Mann, Sarah McLaughlin. But here's, here's the problem. They made the movie and cut the scenes to the original Beatles masters, wow. which then proved way too expensive, so they got wow. all these covers. But because the scenes are kind of locked where they are, the covers are just straight covers. They don't do anything new. Mm. They sound exactly the same. Is Why? Like how much? When money. you realize how much money movies used to have, that like, well, we can't afford all Beatles songs. Let's hire the most prominent musicians ever to do boring Beatles covers. To just <laughs> sing them so they sound exactly the same. It's so strange. You know, they can't change them up. Uh, going through the soundtrack, I found one. It's like, is this over the end credits? Maybe that changes it up a little bit. But all of them are. I, I went through all of them. Like, oh, what should we go out with? It's just the same. My God. What? Why? I, it, I thought this. Yeah. I thought this was going to be the strangest movie of the week. But uh, a personal. I don't want to call this a favorite, but I have watched this a number of times because mm-hmm. it was sort of pitched to me as like if Mystery Science Theater took it to the next level and actually like yeah. put their their commentary into action inside the film. Mm-hmm. Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. <laughs> I love how you listed the stars: Jimmy Wang, Yu, Fei Long, Ling Ling Zi, and of course Steve Odenkirk. Odekirk, Odenkirk, Odekirk, Odekirk, not Odenkirk, who Steve Odekirk might be 
he may he, I guess he has more either more chutzpah or more fuck you money than any person entertainer in history. He's got creator credits possibly on Ace Ventura, Jimmy Neutron, The Barnyard Show, Nickelodeon, a bunch of stuff. I'm other than Ace Ventura, I'm not very familiar with, but he co-wrote Ace Ventura. And then do you remember those thumb movies that were out like in The Dawn thumb of the Wars? DVD? Yeah, mm-hmm. like 20 minute movie parodies featuring faces put on thumbs sold on DVD for nearly full price. It was very strange. The Thumb Father, Thumb War, it, it was so, there were so many of them. And then his next next digital thing, Vanity Project is this crazy insane movie where he takes an I think two martial arts movies from the 60s and digitally mm-hmm. puts himself inside those movies, talking to those characters with new dialogue and shoots new scenes for them. It's an insane idea. And it's, the first 20 minutes of it are amazing. And the rest of it is pretty excruciating. Because <laughs> so it's the, not enough to sustain an entire yeah, movie. Yeah. 10 minutes in, I was like, why don't they make more of these? Yeah. Why don't they do this You know, every couple of years? This is a great idea. But at the end of the, the film, I was like, no, that's, that's yeah, fine. It, I definitely don't need this anymore. The premise no, wears this, thin so fast. It, it has been yeah. done before in What's Up, Tiger Lily yes. and Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid. Those are mm-hmm. its obvious film predecessors. I can't think of its film successor, though, which amazes <laughs> me, given the state of CGI right now. It seems like someone should do this. I mean, but... it's, it's probably happening on YouTube, maybe as sketches on the MTV Movie Awards, if those are still happening. But it is it is like an overblown version of that. A guy... Yeah. And again, like, if you can see it anywhere, the first 10 minutes, like, dude, this is pretty funny. And then just like, well, a story eventually has to happen here, and this is not mm. interesting at all. Yeah. And if you, I think the most, it was most famous for a Matrix esque bullet time scene with a cow fighting. Right. Right. And that and was that, in all the commercials. Uh, scene does not really work that great no. uh, today. <laughs> no. um, but for what it's worth, uh, my nine year old son loved this movie. He yeah. laughed from start yeah. to finish. It it still works on the youth a hundred percent. And in two thousand two, it was definitely filling a niche. We got to put ourselves in the mindset. MST three K had been off for two years, yeah. three years at this point. So there wasn't, and there wasn't riff tracks or anything yeah. really that had filled that niche. But so re- recontextualizing old that. films, like there wasn't yeah. anything doing that. This was yeah. it. it. Again, I'll call it a literally a grand experiment that is kind of a failure but like i own this on dvd i would i've never parted <laughs> with it uh, i don't feel compelled to watch it anymore but the first the, the first couple minutes of it are still pretty entertaining look up clips on youtube there you go. because they'll be the mm. best clips they'll give you everything you need i'd never seen this film until now and i was surprised how much i had watched in youtube clips huh. like uh-huh. i am nice man with happy feeling <laughs> and go to the lobby get some snacks some popcorn <laughs> you know there are funny moments in this but it's enough for a 20 minute youtube best of highlight reel Mm. That's it. That's all you need. I think my biggest problem is for reasons unbeknownst to anyone, kind of like with steel magnolias and fried green tomatoes, I have never been able to get Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, and Foot Fist Way separated, <laughs> even though they're very different. Yeah. I yeah. understand they are different. They just have fist in the title, and that's and Foot now Fist I'm Way is a much easier recommend. Great yeah. ending. And uh, Righteous Gemstones is one of the best things on television right now. God, I love Danny McBride. And then uh, we also have this week, The Mothman Prophecies. This feels like, oh, yep, it's January, all right. We are just dumping shit. Yeah. Uh, Alan Bates, Lucinda, Jenny, Deborah Messing, Will Patton, Laura Lenny, Richard Gere, 
and I missed this one entirely. Uh, it's it's like an overblown episode of the X-Files, yeah. bro. It's about Richard Gere uh, mysteriously ends up in this West Virginia town where there's the Mothman and then like weird psychic shit happens. And then sometimes you see the scary figure that's the Mothman. And that's that's about it. <laughs> More scary psychic shit happens. It's a good thing Richard Gere had uh, Chicago coming out later this year. This <laughs> might have ended it without that. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Fuck, you're right. We do have that coming up. Yes. Oh, oh is we still got anything on Mothman? No, but let's talk about someone whose career has imploded and it he deserved it. Richard Gere doesn't deserve to have his career implode. Oh. Jim Caviezel deserves to have his career implode. Yeah, this is his kind of his big follow-up to uh uh Passion of the G's. Uh, no, we haven't oh, talked about Passion. Oh, that hasn't happened yet. yet. He's, he's no, the stars he's, rising. He's an up and comer. He's up and comer. Uh as oh, I didn't even remember Henry Cavill being in this. I know. Um, There's a bunch of people that's just baby like... Baby Henry Cavill. Baby yeah. Henry Cavill. Oh, what's her name? Oh, baby Helen McCrory, too. R.I.P. Yeah, all these people, it's like, they did a lot of really good British stuff. And then finally, they get like one a big American show and everyone loves them. But they had at least 10 years of this sort of shit. And I, I, Because I, I remember this more for Guy Pierce and the wonderful casting of Luis Guzman, which was oh, just, yes. just great. Because I put Luis Guzman in every 18th century French story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I actually, I I did not get to rewatch this because it's pretty long. I really did like this at the time, and the reviews are not terrible. It's, it's fine. It's it it has the problem that this is a nine hundred page book, mm-hmm. and they're making it a movie by it Alexander Dumbass. Be, uh, uh, by Dumbass, yes. yes. Right. <laughs> um, it needs to be a modern day HBO miniseries, ten episode long yeah. thing. Really show it step by step, progression by progression. They're trying to do too much in this time. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are many series of Count of Monte Cristo, or at least I know yes. I've seen multi part ones that were French produced that were. But this pretty is good, this is the first but... theatrical one in about 15 years and i look it looks like they made this before that they made this swashbuckler every six years there was a movie count of monte cristo but we're talking about up there with with musketeers Mm -hmm. as yeah you know and we're but we're talking about well bittersweetly we're talking about the one from 2002 count of monte cristo being your friend is always an adventure yes it is isn't it edmund dantes had the perfect life until his best friend framed him. You're under arrest. There will be justice. Now, he will train to fight. Good. Too good. Dare to escape and take back his life. Jim Caviezel, Guy Pierce, Richard Harris. How did you ever call yourself my friend? The Count of Monte Cristo. Rated PG-13. If you're in the mood for something like this, there are much worse modern adaptations. Because this is the guy who made Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kevin exactly. Reynolds made a bunch of Kevin Kevin Costner nonsense. Uh, Waterworld as well. <laughs> and Waterworld, yeah, I watch like once a year. I love it. It's a very old timey movie. It is the last <laughs> yeah. best version of that movie. And this is sort of there too. Very old timey. Yeah. They, you know, they, they up the action. They simplify and shorten the story. They change a bit of the ending. Well, they change a whole bunch of stuff along the way. So it's basically French Zorro. <laughs> yeah, French Zorro. That's and it. that's cool because, yeah, old-timey swashbuckling, I'm I'm on board. And they do a pretty good job comparing it to, like, the last year's Musketeer, where they basically made Wuxia version yeah. of Mus- the Musketeer story, and it's it's hilariously bad. This is like, yeah, it's a Hollywood version. It's fine. 
but maybe you don't want to give Jim Caviezel your money, so you can mm. steal it if you want. They, because they he's do, just going to waste it on QAnon stuff. <laughs> they do touch on something very lightly that is, is something that sticks out to me in a lot of fantasy or, or, or historical fiction. Uh, if a protagonist goes from poor to rich by finding a treasure, in most times and places, that's the equivalent of writing, please kill and rob me on your forehead. <laughs> if the bandits don't get you, the nobles or other authorities totally work. Mm. Because in most historical settings, they don't have the social, legal, political framework where it's safe to be a poor person to suddenly come up to yeah, I, with a lot of I think money. I've read something similar about modern day lottery winners. You are just yeah, you are a but, target. But this is more like the local magistrate will be like, ah, I see you bought a mansion. Stab. Um, did you pay our mansion <laughs> yeah. tax? Yeah. Our mansion tax is also a mansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No banking records. The FDIC isn't going to come after them. You haven't bribed <laughs> a police official or a politician yet. You shouldn't have all this money. It's, it's why most pirates, even if they hit it big, still often died broke because they had all this treasure and they couldn't spend it. Like mm. it, it, it wasn't safe for them to just, okay, I'm a Spanish pirate. I'm going to go retire in England. Go to England. Oh, you got a lot of money? And you've got no friends and no connection to anyone here. Stab. Stab. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's a, a. That's why you use your money to hire a gang, but then don't let the gang know where your money is because then they'll all stab you. Oh yeah, they'll stab you too. Yeah. Here, here's something I could use Jr.'s help in contextualizing because it's just like I hear the name Edmund Dantes and I'm like, oh, the guy who wrote Beethoven, and I just like that is. Sadly, been so recontextualizes John Hughes' pen name. Like, uh, <laughs> what a sad slide from cultural relevance that that's the third first thing that I think of. Yeah, a dead yeah. a dead screenwriter's pen name. Oh my god, two thousand two's Count of Monte Cristo. It's held fine. over from last year by a lot. Yeah, um, if you yeah. like swashbucklers, it's the, the higher it's end fine. of them. It is. Um, there, there's not a lot of great swashbucklers. It's very pretty. Swashbucklers who've buckled a swash <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, in the 21st century. That that Three Musketeers sure. movie we watched with uh, Tom from Secession was about the silliest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's so great. And, and, and this, Airships. And this you know isn't. what? Three Musketeers. <laughs> Airships. And, and this isn't. This is with a... Gatling guns on them. <laughs> a flamethrower. A flamethrower. <laughs> on something probably run with hydrogen. They never explain what it's run by, but we have to assume it's hydrogen because, you know. Yeah. It's all we had back then. hard to get. 80s kids yeah. understand the hydrogen. We know what's we know what's going on. And, yeah. and then Hindenburg knows. And then oh god, the last movie. Uh, my Hi number one question. Okay, Jr., you obviously have way too much time to throw at watching this stuff. Did you bother to watch this movie, which is very popular in a very narrow segment mm -hmm. of basic bitches? I'm I'm sorry, I did not have time to watch. Oh, this film. good job! Yeah. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm really, I was worried that you were going to waste your time watching A Walk to Remember, which most of the ads are just Mandy Moore singing. <laughs> they don't even mention that there's a movie and it has Daryl Hannah and Peter Coyote in it and Mandy Moore and Sean West or Shane West and based on a Nicholas Sparks novel. So you know what that means. No, I Love. don't. Love. Oh, there you go. Oh, right. Kissing. Yeah. I did. I, I, I And death. <laughs> and someone's going to die. Yeah, I did not see this. And movie. then they'll be sad as they die. So, oh, I, but she's I did... she's so pretty as she's dying. <coughs> oh no, Mandy Moore's dying. 
she coughed lightly. It, it's been a cliche since the 18th century that a woman becomes more beautiful as she dies. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, yeah. It was based in tuberculosis, which often gave women at the time a small waist and rosy cheeks. Hell yeah. And people at the time were like, hey, <laughs> that's some sexy disease you got I love there. my lady with clown makeup on. I got to... <laughs> And it's carried on to the present day. But I I did look up Nicholas Sparks, and Mm -hmm. he based this on his real-life sister. His sister got cancer, Mm -hmm. and then his sister met someone, and even though she was dying, that someone wanted to marry her. They got married, and then his sister died when she was uh, 33 years old. So this is directly inspired. You'll be be happy to know, is Walk to Remember worth remembering? I texted our old co-host, Sarah, and she mm-hmm. responded, the one with Mandy Moore? I think I saw that one. There. <laughs> there's, yep. there's your appraisal. We're not the right there people There you go. Mm. Yeah, and it sounds like so much, I just read the, the lengthy synopsis, but it sounds like so much of this is about like high school click bullshit, about like Shane West is with like the cool jocks and he's mean to her, but then, you know, he's like punished and made to be in the school play and- like, he's nice to her when his buds aren't around, but then his buds are around. And she's like, I can't trust you. I saw this scene from Greece. You're mean. And then they have a heart to heart. And now they're in love. And <clears throat> oh, no. Love story theme. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I keep re- confusing this with like 10 other movies I wouldn't watch with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Exactly. I did not see this. And you know what? I'm not just trashing this because it's Nicholas Sparks because, no. yeah, eventually we'll get to the notebook and and I actually have a lot to defend there. I'm not taking my time on this one, man. Sorry. If you like it, good. That's fine. Because, uh, yeah, fine. it's not just that it's girly. The thing, next thing we're going to talk about is, is great female protagonist. I've been watching mm-hmm. television yeah. of 2002, January 21st through the 27th, the last episode slash film of Daria. Daria's, oh. D- Daria's bow from culture until... I think this year there, or next there's year. There's supposed to be a reboot. Yeah. But uh, this was the last Daria piece of media ever made. Mm-hmm. It was 60 minutes and change if you watch it without commercials. So I got to assume it was a 90 minute MTV movie on MTV at the time. Yeah. <laughs> With high school graduation nearing, Daria must choose which college she has to go to and whether or not she should continue her relationship with Tom. Holy shit. And because it's Daria, she chooses the non-cliche answer. I think we should break up. What? When did you decide this? Just now. Because I got into Bromwell and you didn't? That's not fair, Daria. It's got nothing to do with Bromwell. Well, if it's not about Bromwell, then what? Why? Because you're going one place and I'm going another. So what? We won't be that far away. I don't mean physically. I mean you're from one place and I'm from another. And college is going to make it even more obvious. I don't believe that. Tom... We have little enough in common as it is. Now we won't see each other for months at a time, and every time we do, it'll be more difficult to pick up where we left off. Not if we work at it. Why should we work at it when we're already getting bored? Who's bored? I'm not bored. Really? Or are you just upset that I admitted it first? Standing ovation. Yeah. Standing ovation. Hell yeah. Because I I saw in countless sitcoms, movies, oh, we're high school loves, we're going away to college, we're going to make it work. I was fully 100% aware that when high school ends, my relationship with all of these people is over. Um, I was Mm. curious if that was your experience as well. With a Um, lot of people, but, with a Yeah, with with a lot of people. um, You know, I stayed friends with some of them, but, I mean... We grew much more distant. We're not 
as good friends now, people mm -hmm. in, in high school, um, we're kind of casual acquaintances now who like each other's shit on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I see them once every 10 years, maybe. If you're going to different colleges that are more than an hour apart, you need to break up. You can stay friends. You need to break up. You 100%. need to break up because you know what? If you don't do it amicably, that first Thanksgiving, he's coming home and he's breaking up with you. Mm. This hasn't happened to me personally. Uh -huh, uh, I did do mm -hmm. no, I did do a long distance relationship through much of college that I really regret. I really regret trying to do that. I closed myself off from a lot of opportunities for just having fun and meeting cool people and um fucking hot dudes. Yeah. And uh, and ladies. I'm sorry, there were some that I could have gone there too, but um I wasted a semester yeah. of college abroad still being too connected to things in my hometown. Mm -hmm. and went back yeah. every week and they saw me and I just didn't do any of the college experience before I got booted out. And it was, yep. just, it was just a waste of the experience. Bummed by it. So, so I rewatched this episode and it's... Where, it's on YouTube? No, okay. I just purchased it on Amazon. Oh, okay. yeah. it's not on Paramount Plus under the no. Daria, just pointing that out. Because they have mm -hmm. a Daria streaming channel where you can watch it 20, Daria 24-7 and I have been clicking that occasionally. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I got to say, it's a lot harder to relate to a lethargic teenager mm. in your 40s than it was when she aired. I think Daria <laughs> was a very fresh and new character mm -hmm. who has been kind of diluted because cynicism is so much more common in today's characters than it uh, was back then. But yeah. Daria is both cynical and apathetic. And while I can think of many cynical characters today, mm -hmm. I can't think of many that are both cynical and apathetic. It's not always a great quality to care about nothing. No. And no. it's not something I, think it's I a terrible... admire anymore. Yeah. Which they, they showed some pictures of Beavis and Butthead as 40 years old as a possible reboot. If you did that with Daria, I... I I think it could work to see how being apathetic wasn't a good lifetime strategy for her. Honestly, no. I think that would be a really good thing to explore. I never danced. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, if you're apathetic, that means you're going to be in like the world's most shitty dead end job that's probably sitting at a computer doing data entry that none of this matters. It never will matter. It's just office space, man. Mm. You're just marking time till you die. What, what are you getting out of that? And I could honestly see that as being a possible end for Daria, yeah. given her viewpoint. Yeah, now I'm more interested to see where they're going to pick up with her. I don't know if she'll have aged in real time, but... No, I understand and... it's a reboot. Yeah, a oh, reboot? Again, okay. I don't think the character exists outside of the 90s. Yeah, that's probably mm. true. It's going to be tough putting her on the internet with a cell phone. I, I hope she's... I, or maybe I, that's great. Have you ever heard Janine Garofalo complain, like, I was not the voice of Daria... <laughs> I have never been Daria. I have nothing to do with the show Daria. I think the show is very funny. That I have nothing to do with it. And because of that time period, everybody just assumed it was from the brain or mouth of Jeanine Garofalo. And mm. even hearing that clip, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. I'm sorry. <laughs> then uh, we the last episode of That's Life on the 26th. I don't even remember what That's Life is. Uh, uh, it's but... a blue-collar underdog who decides to uh, go back to college, and it is remembered by no one. You cannot oh, watch it anywhere. That's... No, nope. nope. that is untrue. It is okay. known by Real Housewives of Orange County fans uh, because it stars Heather Page Kent. 
Who's a total AKA Heather Dubrow? Oh, oh. <laughs> who was on, uh, Yeah, who was on Real Housewives of Orange County from 2012 to 2016 and rejoined last year. Okay. Did, yep. did she Heather talk Dubrow. about that's life all the time and expect people to uh, remember it? I bet they say like she starred on a sitcom, and it's like, well, that's technically true, but it's a sitcom that went barely two seasons and yeah. no one remembers before she married Rich. And yes. more more significantly, yet somehow less, at that 80s show, the pilot airs on Fox. And Sweet I don't Jesus. remember what I felt was wrong with it, but it felt wrong from the Everything. get-go, even though I was more excited. Like, I was more excited to revisit the 80s and the 70s. I don't know shit about the 70s. I was born in the 80s. It was like a really... It's like the in- 80s are too easy to parody. It's like a little bit of Every that. joke is too obvious. And then, like, well, But like sin- also sin- incongruous. Like, like yeah. what part of the 80s is this? Oh, you're just going to mishmash it's a total mishmash. Yeah, of the, the beginning 80s. and end uh, of the eighties. Cinema snob did a rewatch of this entire series, and Oy. he said quite accurately, every joke in this show could be followed by the punchline of "Get it? Because it's the eighties." Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's true. Every joke, and it's not funny. The father is Diet Al Bundy. He hits on his son's ex-girlfriend. Okay, who's also stalking his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Wacky shenanigans, am I right? Yeah, yeah. A, a, and I, I only learned recently had this show gone more than six episodes or something, it was it's kind of a very notable failure in terms of Fox Pilots, a spin off of that, a very successful show like that 70s show. Had the show gone forward, we might not have had Always Sunny in Philadelphia because that's when yep. Howerton is cast on the show. And if you they have a podcast now, I believe they didn't meet there, but they all auditioned for the same part on the show, and at some point. Hmm. If it was successful, I imagine his friends would have also been cast in satellite roles on the show, and we wouldn't have something as wonderful as Always Sunny. We'd have something terrible like that 80s show. There's an alternate universe where it didn't go Always Sunny's way. Interesting that the the roots are there somewhere. We have uh, two TV movies, Hallmark Hall of Fame. Is that what they were calling the movies at this point? Yep. Even before they've been seen, uh, My Sister's Keeper. A mother dies, and a career woman is left as a caretaker of her sister as schizophrenia. <sighs> and then, I feel like every, I feel like I've seen this movie over and over and over, and I realize, yeah. oh wait, I'm thinking of the 2009 movie called My Sister's Keeper with Cameron Diaz, or uh, where she just has to take care of Abigail Breslin, or but, riding the bus with my sister, where Rosie O'Donnell goes full I am Sam. <laughs> yes. Yes. This, and, uh, if you listen to the commercial for this, it's very feel goody. It's very like, look at how these sisters get along. Don't want. But the actual film itself is very much a what do we owe each other film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lady does not want to take control of her sister's life. She does not want to have the responsibility. She does not want to accept her. But over time, she changes. But she gives a really sad speech about how hard it can be dealing with someone who drags you down all the time. Oh, um, oh, guess who we got coming back? Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. From Hallmark Hall of Fame. I wish that we are sisters forever. Christine Chapman is a special woman who wants her independence. I don't know how she's going to manage without me. Mom is gone. I don't think I can make it. Now she'll need to rely on her younger sister. The way things are are the way they're going to be for the rest of my life. Oscar winner Kathy Bates, Elizabeth Perkins, and Lynn Redgrave. Will we be sisters forever? Forever. Hallmark Hall of Fame's My Sister's Keeper, CBS Sunday. 
And that oh. line, the way it'll be for the rest of our lives, is not said in joy. It's not said in like, yay. It's, it, it's said as a warning to Agent Coulson, who is in this film, yeah. that uh, <laughs> you really need to be careful if we get married because we're going to have to deal with this for the rest of our lives. I have never heard of Stephen King's Rose Red. Uh, with now, Nancy TV miniseries. Oh, miniseries. Uh, That's right. Yeah, TV Stephen miniseries. King. It started out like 10 years earlier or something with him being like, you know, it'd be cool. You, sh you should remake The Haunting. Like, make the make The Haunting again. And then they did, and it sucked. We talked about it a couple of years ago. Luke Wilson gets decapitated by a fireplace, and it's pretty rad. But he just decided to run with the idea of like, yeah, let's uh, I'm just I'm just gonna make the haunting a hell house again, but <laughs> also work in some Winchester mystery house too. Mm. Let's let's do that. So it's about a group of like s supposedly psychics and researchers trying to figure out what's going on with this house before possibly it getting teared down, and it's got. A bitching cast, Nancy Travis, Julian Sands, uh, Judith Ivey, Melanie Linsky, Kevin Teig, Emily Deschanel. And uh, yeah, it goes a couple nights and everyone just sort of goes, yeah, it's yeah. all right. You know, I haunted house. I wouldn't buy that back. on a double VHS tape. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then... like, whatever. You know, it's not not like he hasn't covered this ground before, Stephen King. Mm. Like, Is it set in Maine? <laughs> I was going to say, you're I, not, are you going to stop Stephen King from recovering old ground? No one can do that, seemingly. No. Actually, I found out it was supposed to take place in L.A., and then they moved it to Seattle just because they found a cool house there. All right. And I was like, you could have just said it was still L.A. or Bangor, Maine. But no, they used like a real house that's pretty cool and spent a whole bunch of money to make it fancy. That's nice. <laughs> Segwaying real quick to the video games of 2002, because this was significant. Steven Spielberg, after he made Saving Private Ryan made a PlayStation exclusive game called Medal of Honor. That is where that series started. But it was uh, kind of clunky, a little weird, mm -hmm. but like very personal uh, in terms of like they name this, they give the soldiers names and everything and put their names on them. But the DNA is there, but Medal of Honor Allied Assault hits PC. And this was all any of my game playing friends were talking about this week. They actually recreated this the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan into a level you could believably play and it's pretty fucking oh, nuts. shit I, yeah. and i don't know that i'm sure it doesn't hold I mean, up with that great 2002 graphics yeah um um and but at the time they were the best graphics in the world so yeah. it was super impressive and this is also the start of normandy being the new hoth <laughs> where anytime there's this first person shooter there's a huge chance eventually they will get to covering normandy and uh we also uh, one of the only video games my mother's ever given me for christmas and this is two christmases ago <laughs> 2002's parappa the rapper 2 is out because Ooh. the only the fun thing here is that Para there's parappa the rapper the wonderful little game about the rapping dog uh living a day in his life and then made the game um jam or lammy and if you beat that game about a little girl cat who wants to play the guitar you basically unlocked Parappa the Rapper 2, but most people didn't know it was in Um Jammer Lammy. And oh. so finally, here is Parappa the Rapper 2 proper on PS2, and this is kind of it for Parappa for forever as a star of his own game. No, he's made, he's one made... of the only games that I'm okay at. <laughs> it's a, such a charming little series. I don't see why Sony doesn't make a stab at, like, make a $20 version of this with yeah, like four songs, who cares? Throw it to some indie developer, yeah. if nothing else. Just like, yeah, here, here it is. I mean, Nintendo's letting indie developers handle Zelda. Yeah. I think Sony can handle Metroid. The, the risk of Parappa the Rapper. Yeah, and, and, and mostly it's going to come down to songwriting anyway. So 
have at it. I got to believe it'll be successful. You know what? That wraps up 2002. We got one more segment, and that's 2012. Uh, but we're going to take you out of here with two of us by Amy Mann and Michael Penn. I believe they're yeah, ma- they because still married? did you know that, that Sean Penn has some brothers? Yeah. Yes. And one, one of those alive. brothers was a very good actor who died too young. Uh, another one of them is a musician who's okay, but married a much more talented person. <laughs> I was going to say, ouch. But I saw Amy Mann live, and Dude. it also doubled as the funniest stand-up comedy event I've ever been to, because she talked more than she played, and it was a fucking hoot. They also yep. covered two of us by the Beatles, and it's on the yep. I Am Sam soundtrack. And look, none of you are going to stop being able to think about I Am Sam for the rest of the week. So let's close out with two of us. But we'll be right back with much less I Am Sam material. You and me Sunday driving not arriving on our way back home run away home run away home we're going home Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of January 21st through 27th, I'm going to freestyle it a little bit because there's nothing that like really grabbed me having an anniversary this week, except maybe Shaolin Temple from 1982 turning 40. That is Jet Li's film debut. He is all of 18 years old. Baby Jet Li. He's like, not, he's like a Cessna. He's not even a jet. He's like a little, little baby. Um, and he's still just kicking all kinds of ass. So there's that. But what I mean by freestyling is I just thought I'd go with some things that came to mind based on recent movies that I watched. Not for this show, but like like real movies that came out in the last couple of years. And I just watched The Tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, directed by Joel Cohen. And I thought it was outstanding. I realized I've seen like four or five different film versions of Macbeth over time. And I think this is probably the best one. But it really reminded me of two movies by Orson Welles that I wanted to shout out. They're lesser known. The first one is his version of Othello from 1951. Obviously, he's playing the main character. So he's wearing blackface and a curly wig. And that's super duper embarrassing. But if you can get over that, and it's not like he's, you know, shucking and jiving, for God's sake. He's playing it very seriously. That's what they used to do. They're like, they didn't like having black people around. So they just, it's really good. And it's also, it's a good version of Othello, but it's also, the setting is just beautiful. I thought of it watching Macbeth because of just the, the starkness of the setting is very, I guess they shot it mostly in Morocco and some in Italy. And there's just, I like, can't even describe the setting where it seems like they're outdoors, but also indoors. There's lots of arches and stone everything and notches in it. And it's like, it's kind of a castle. It's kind of a church. It's kind of a town. And it's it's really beautiful to look at. So obviously with the blackface, that sucks. But it's still a good performance. I mean... The other Orson Welles movie that's lesser known that I want to point out is The Trial from 1962. So I guess that's hitting an anniversary this year. When? April or February. Okay, so maybe I've jumped the gun by about a month. The Trial, based on the Kafka book, and it stars Anthony Perkins and Jean Moreau, Romy Schneider, in, again, really stark settings. This time, I think it was filmed mostly in West Germany. And so it's all this, like, 
60s European architecture that's lots of like clean white lines and it's really hard to film Kafka because it's all about mood. Obviously Kafka means Kafka-esque which means very frustrating and bureaucratic and man yeah the trial from 1962 Anthony Perkins does uh tightly wound and frustrated just better than anybody really I mean you start to not see Norman Bates sometimes but mostly you still see Norman Bates but yeah I don't know why those two movies that happen to be by the same director both popped out of me watching Tragedy Macbeth but The Trial 1962 and Othello 1951 yeah if Tragedy Macbeth like really did it for you I I would recommend those also Scotland PA that we talked about last year which I realized oh yeah there's another version of Macbeth that I watched that I enjoyed because it's set in the 70s in the world of fast food restaurants and Christopher Walken's there too. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Better than I ever even knew They say that the world was built for two Only with living if somebody is loving Coming in with video games by Lana Del Rey. Is this her debut of a Born, a born debut? to Die? Her major label debut, Lana Del Rey. Yep. Everyone, welcome to 2012. Like That's you want more Adels? We can get some more Adels. Yeah, again, I don't know what it, what it is about 2012. It's harder for me to wrap my head around. It's more than just a New Year thing. It's just that feels recent to me. 2012 new releases. Go to the Eat Factory by Guy. <laughs> Let's go eat the factory. No, let's not go eat, go to the Eat Factory. <laughs> That would, though, yeah, it sounds like something Millhouse would say. Uh, let's go to the eat. <laughs> let's go eat the factory by Guided by Voices. Attack on Memory by Cloud Nothings. Uh, the Church of Rock and Roll by the Foxy Shazam. Resolution by Lamb of God. And uh, Tomahawk Technique by Sean Paul. We Found Love by Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris is back at number one this week. Ah, <sighs> twenty twelve. Again, the first movie we have to talk about in 2012 is something I God damn it thought that felt <laughs> God damn it. Oh, yeah. God damn this show. No, uh, no, making no. me watch this, having no idea, zero. That, Stop it! You're making it funnier. I feel funnier. so sorry <laughs> because I, I love. We're going to talk about Tim and Eric now, and I love that we have kind of three different experiences of Tim and Eric. Chris, you love Tim and Eric. I, yes? I think I believe. Even when I said in my text. I love Tim and Eric more than my parents, but uh, their <laughs> their movie, Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. I'm aware of what it's like to watch that, and it is strange. But again, it's one of those experiences. When I know people who don't get it are having a bad time watching it, I'm like, oh, I need to watch it again. Like like Will Ferrell's character in the movie. You like Top Gun? Let's watch it again. Uh, it makes it it makes it so much funnier to imagine Jr. going into this a Tim and Eric virgin. Like this oh, is so yes, that's what feels silly because like I I like Tim and Eric in very small doses. Fifteen minutes. They're, they're is only enough. delivered. I can't. Other than Take Tim, more. Tim and Eric have only been delivered in small doses, in 15-minute doses, before and since, as a group. And, and 15 minutes is often pushing it for me. I, mean, I, I can't do, it. like, Tim and Eric and Steve rule back-to-back. I can't do it because their style of comedy is very – it's, like, meant to be off-putting and repetitive and frustrating and disgusting. And I feel so bad that Jr. went into this <laughs> – Having never experienced them before and therefore having no idea what you were getting into. I hadn't even heard of Tim and Eric before oh, you no. watched this show. You haven't watched Adult and Swim in 10 years? Not really. Once C-Lab 2021 ended, my days of watching Adult Swim kind of fell off. 
<gasps> yeah. You don't know anything about Crimbus or well, you know anything about Shrim now. That's oh, I know about God. Shrim. So That's thank right. you for letting that image Justice, live in my brain for the Justice rest for Ray of Wise. eternity. Justice for character actor Ray Wise. He deserves better than the one scene he gets in this movie that involves a bunch of children shitting on a guy. There is so much poop in this movie, <laughs> listeners. Oh, so much poop in so, so many much. different forms of poop. There is a used toilet paper store in this <laughs> film where a guy goes around to public toilets, picks up the toilet paper, spools it back up, and sells it as used toilet paper. And that is not the grossest thing in this movie. <laughs> nope. 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 You're making it so much funnier. Oh, I love it so much. I loved him and Eric so much. I don't. It's more funny that this movie exists than to exist while watching it, mm. I, I, I think. But hearing JR describe it, like, I got to go back and see this. Because I, <laughs> I I own this. I, I tried to see this in theaters. It, it opened very few theaters. I bought it. I pre-ordered it. It's like the last thing I pre-ordered on Blu-ray. I've had it for 10 years. Oh, yeah. You really need that fidelity of vision. I just, I wanted the extras. Got to at the right aspect ratio. Yeah. I wanted the extras because, by the way, at this point, Tim and Eric weren't really coming out of character. They would only do interviews hmm. as weird versions of the characters in this film who are paid by Robert Loggia and William Atherton to make a billion dollar movie, but blow it all mostly on uh, LA facial reconstruction and a Johnny Depp impersonator and actual yeah. diamonds and. Zach. And uh, life coach Zach Galifianakis, Jim yeah. Joe, Jim Joe. <laughs> what? No love right. for he has magical powers. Yes, yes. Why no not? love for Taquito or Will Forte. Fuck you. <laughs> right. So yeah, after blowing a billion dollars in Hollywood, they decide that re- running a mall will get them the billion dollars back. So they have to because repay there's an Robert ad Lucia. on the TV says yeah. that I, says I will pay you a billion dollars to run my mall. <laughs> Yeah. That's right, a billion dollars. It's so, Will like, Ferrell. They have to repay Robert Loja and William Atherton, the bad guy from Ghostbusters, uh, you know, or they'll be killed. And so they go take over this apocalyptic mall full so what, of hobos. The state of horrible. malls in 2012, because now, I mean, not good. You know, it's yeah. a cliche that malls are these abandoned wastelands, but I don't feel like we were quite. There they were. In they weren't quite there. I mean, but I, I thought I read they they had that was the part of the movie that was shot in a different city because like there weren't any dead malls in LA yet this isn't they had to go to Palm Springs to find this place mm-hmm. because they weren't going to build a whole mall right and so um right it's about them starting their company that they say the name of a hundred trillion times and try to fix this mall full of terrible things and then they have a uh love triangle over Twink Kaplan who I don't know if you guys recognize no Besides yeah. having an amazing name, Twink Kaplan, she's Amy Heckerling's best friend who pops up in all her movies. So she's like the oh. teacher in Clueless. Yes. Oh. And she's like the best friend of Luke who's talking. And they have a long and disgusting sex scene yes. with her. Yes. Oh, <laughs> super disgusting. Yeah. It just sort of keeps going because, look, I'm not going to lie. I-, I laughed plenty, but there's a lot of a lot of the laughter is I can't believe this is still happening. <laughs> Not, I find this funny. Just, oh my God, it's still going. Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie is almost longer than a season of Tim and Eric. And maybe <laughs> it's the small dose portion that I like. Because it's it's ultimately a sketch show. So yeah. trying to maintain, and if I could explain it to JR, the thing that I think doesn't work, if I could show you one episode of the show, and I think you'd get it, because most of it is making fun of cheesy presentations of end of the 20th century television. Okay. So yeah. make, Public access TV. That that are just local TV commercials, yeah. and and 
that's why you see that mall commercial because that's what they specialize in making shitty cheesy commercials and that really works in the sketch comedy format and here it's like well you actually don't get to do this as much as you should be doing it mm. the joke is of tim and eric is a lot about the presentation but they still has to be a movie at the end of the day with a coherent story which doesn't really bother to have and then pops in with some timic ericisms in between with in between with some kind of surprising celebrity cameos john c Riley is in this movie for a long time uh, as a major yeah. character taquito uh, and taquito is, is more brutal than steve brule because he's like clearly dying and constantly <laughs> coughing and, and just kind of a disgusting character to stick with. And it's just all clearly, like when we talked about Freddy Got fing- Fingered, I think mm-hmm. Tim and Eric made their perfect movie that they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. They, there's not a mistake made in this movie that they made, not unlike Tom Green who made Freddy Got Fingered. Whether that is palatable to the general public <laughs> is is another idea, but like there is something perfect about it. It is Watching a singular this, vision. That's a very good this. comparison. I have yeah. no desire to ever see their skit now. I, Fair. I, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure I can show you one that'll just bring a smile to your face. You, you you're don't probably like, right. I'm, I I have no desire though. You you're know, saying you're saying like, uh, how about you don't like poop, right? <laughs> so the poop tube's out. Uh, the, the poop tube, <laughs> which allows you to shit your pants and fires it out of a tube that you wear on a helmet on top of your head and into a urinal, <laughs> so you can poop in the urinal. <laughs> Sold, it's, Chris. It looks like a Dr. Seuss apparatus, and you get Bob Odenkirk narrating. I do love because Bob Odenkirk here is not. A household name yet, but he helped build Tim and Eric yeah. um, and produced their their project and got it pitched to Adult Swim and always participated in stuff. And he's just a narrator here because I don't know when he pops up on Breaking Bad, but maybe you know it has happened already, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe he was busy then. But like, yeah, when Bob Odenkirk started doing stuff with Tim and Eric, he wasn't a household name yet, and but loves silly comedy. And I believe he said when they submitted their stuff to him, they sent a return envelope and a bill for the tape they had sent him. And he's like, oh, well, that got my attention. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I, 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 it's hard. I don't think I could ever recommend this movie because even I don't love it. But mm. the saga of J.R. not loving it is almost more enjoyable than the movie itself because <laughs> I've seen it several times. It does feel like a cruel prank to just <laughs> let someone watch this cold expecting. I have no idea what you were expecting. Were you expecting just comedy or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. Okay, mm-hmm. this is going to be some wacky, wacky thing. That That's the only thought I had in my head. Wacky. But it is wacky. You don't like how they walk to and yeah. from scenes with their arms out and. It's yeah. so strange. Or how he just steals that guy's kid and just decides, yeah, yeah. like, there, I'm your a dad. lot of creepy boy jokes in this film. Like, yeah. a lot. A lot, a lot. No, oh, off putting. They're intentionally off putting. And yeah, they they do a really good job of it. I love it. Oh, God. I love it. I mean, to Tim and oh, Eric. I'm so yeah. sorry, JR. <laughs> All right. I guess we should move on to Man on a Ledge featuring the uh... unforgettable Sam Worthington, who was in every movie during this period. And I haven't seen him in anything since. Mm. Uh, Ed Harris, Liz Banks, Jamie Bell, Kira Sedgwick. Whew. Bad photocopy of Inside Man. Oh, I see. Yeah. There you go. I was not aware that straight-to-DVD films still get a theatrical release. <laughs> Los Angeles, they In do. January, <laughs> baby, anything's possible. No, Sam Worthington is a guy. He's out on a ledge. He says he's going to jump, and it turns out that there's actually shenanigans with the police, and then it's actually a big distraction for a robbery, and they're going to prove Ed Harris is a bad guy. And Yeah, it's, it's, it's Inside Man, but it sucks. Mm. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> People I like got paid. Maybe uh, I'll have to 
well, maybe I'll have to apologize for saying anything about the next movie, which I obviously did not see, but is also in the. How was that? That is Catherine Heigl a terrible lady? I don't know because, but with the time people were writing about her, they might have been terrible people. But Catherine mm-hmm. Heigl's post knocked up movie star, not quite to be <laughs> jaunt into starring in films. Debbie Reynolds, John Leguizamo, Patrick Fischler, uh, Fisher Stevens. This is confusing. Sherry Shepard, uh, Daniel Sanjata, uh, Jason Omar, and Catherine Heigl in One for the Money. How comfortable are you with the low life? So long to for three years in Newark. You're good to go. From the producer of The Devil Wears Prada. You might like his better. One woman. I was just shooting a gun. How hot is that? Will do whatever it takes. Stephanie Plum, recovery agent. You make a lot of money doing that? 10% of the bond. We should change our profession. To make ends meet. Saw that on TV. Based on the best-selling novel, One for the Month. Oh, my God. Why? You blew up our car. Excuse me, whose car? Your car. You want it back? I'm much- just connecting that now. There's a Groupon advertisement at the end of this trailer. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's more 2012 than that. I did not know this is the first adaptation of Janet Ivanovich's novel. Yep. One for the Money. Who I don't know anything about that book series. What I know... Anytime I've gone in with friends to rent a Florida beach houses, they are stocked with Janet Ivanovich novels with number puns on them. And <laughs> up yeah, to like, I think there's... 19 to 22, she's written that many so, books in the series. And this, I'm guessing, two was supposed for the to... trouble. Are you looking it up? Or are you no, just guessing? No, I'm making it out. Oh, damn. <laughs> the top of my head. To the eights or to the nines, I believe, is one of them. And yeah, behind there's... the eight ball. There's like 28 of these books. Yeah, and uh, I almost, I wish this lined up better when we talked about V.I. Warshawski because it's the same fucking problem again, where you have a popular series of books starring, you know, a woman as a detective, or in this case, a bail bondsman. And you think it should be easy to make a movie. Let's just, just adapt the book. And now we have a series and, and women will show up to it. And if you have enough action, maybe men will show up to it. Oh God. Damn and, these titles. Uh, no, nobody <laughs> likes it. Everybody hates it. Guess you'll just eat worms. One for the money, two for the dough, three to get deadly, four to score. See, she ruined it. She should have kept ah. going. Yeah. High five, hot six, seven up, hard eight, two the nines, <laughs> 10 big ones, 11 on top, 12 sharp, lean, mean, 13, fearless, 14, <laughs> Finger licking 15, right. sizzling 16, smoking 17, explosive 18, notorious 19, takedown 20, 23 is my favorite. Top secret 21, tricky 22, turbo 23, hardcore 24, look alive 25, twisted 26. God damn. And there's still two more. <laughs> uh, tantalizing 27. I'm not kidding. And then game, these must be spinoffs. They have tempting 28. Like, Jesus, I'm not going to show mm-hmm. these books. Uh, it's clearly, a ton of people like them, but uh, yeah. I think not a lot of I people mean, like Karen Catherine Heigl to go see a movie with her and who didn't know that because they don't mention yeah, that in, and, the, in the trailer. Like these books have been in supermarket. These books have been in supermarkets for 20 years. Yeah. They're yeah. huge. Just the humor was sucked, and it's technically the last movie of Debbie Reynolds, and that makes me sad. Is it really? Um, Stephanie Plum series. There, that's what it's called. Inspired by Midnight Run. Who knew? Um, and then a movie. Yeah. See, again, why don't you just make a Lady Midnight run? Yeah, for real. That just could totally work. Should totally yep. work. And uh, But this, I think, worked better than expected. This is one of yeah. the, the first things I remember. A on a snakes on a plane level, having people talking on the internet about a film that's coming out. Frank Grillo, Dermot Mulroney, and Liam Neeson. It's number one this week. The Grey. When their plane went down... <laughs> 
to fire. If we don't move, we're all freeze to death. Their real journey began. What was that? Stare right back at him. On January 27th. There's trees out there. If we get there, we can better defend ourselves. They will stop at nothing. <laughs> to get back home. There's not a second goes by when I'm not thinking of you. The Grey. Rated R. The Grey. We were, I was watching something with my dad, but like, and we were commenting on Liam ne- Liam Neeson used to star in movies my mom used to go to in the early 90s alone, and we didn't ask any questions about it. <laughs> and then somehow in the, the 2010s became like one of the most bakeable movie stars on the planet. And yeah, action part, stars. An action yeah. star. So one of, the, one of that, part of that was definitely attributed to Taken, but I think the rest of it goes to the gray. The, the, well, well, I don't it, know. It's it wasn't so... a big of a hit at the time. I feel like yeah. it was more of a sleeper hit that people... Oh, I, I would attribute it to, to it came to netflix very soon in their streaming cycle and stayed there for like five years so there's Mm. even a community joke about the gray being on netflix i feel like this was really pitched as taken with wolves but it's much more an existential survival thriller yes i mean it's man versus nature it's totally the environment is the killer the horror monster killer that's going to kill all these people. And the characters are really well developed in the short time we have. I like to compare this film to Red Tails from last week. Mm. Red Tails, I didn't care about any of those characters, but they get me to care about these guys who are not good people very quickly and very well. Yeah. I Yeah, I was really surprised because, yeah, it it seemed like it was going to be Liam Neeson fights a wolf for an hour and a half, maybe. And And no, it's much more honestly my ears perked up when they they name check grizzly man pretty early on and i was like this is a fucking Werner herzog movie we're watching this oh, is about sweet. how nature is pitiless and it will kill you <laughs> and it doesn't care at all and there is no there is no defeating nature nature always wins well, I... in some way shape or form and so the whole movie is really just they're in a big uh, a bunch of guys who work on an oil rig or refinery plane crashed couple survivors what seven eight of them survived some mm-hmm. of them with terrible injuries and that was one in of the, the middle best of plane crashes i've seen Ooh, this yeah. is a brutal i mean last episode i think you said you don't want to get in a plane with uh 40 people uh yeah. this is why Ooh. this is this oh is the, brutal. the the tension i felt when they just pan through the plane and you can see everyone's breath because it's so cold and i'm like that's not supposed to happen I, oh, i've fuck. had that happen to me on a plane um, oh fuck so I flew Air Cubano, uh, which is the Cuban Airlines, and it was rated mm. the number one most unsafe airline in the entire <laughs> world. When I oh, my it. God. And uh, my breath did do that. Wow. Um, yeah. No, it's a great plane crash. And now they're stranded in the middle of tundra, and um, they seem to be in the territory of some wolves who are not backing down. First they start with the bodies, and then they start with the people. The the reason given is that these guys are apparently in the wolf's den. So normally wolves are not going to be this aggressive, but it's a movie land. I'm willing to give it a go, just like I accept that the shark in Jaws is more aggressive than normal sharks are. Yeah. For the purposes of the movie, it works. The wolves are a scary menace constantly getting after these guys. I, I, I want to spoil the film, so... Spoiler Mm. warning right now. To me, this is the most triumphant film I can think of where everyone dies. 
because <laughs> okay. that's how this film dies. Everyone you care about in this film dies before your eyes in a usually brutal way. Mm. Yeah. And at the very end, it's it's shown that Liam Neeson is doomed, utterly doomed. There's no way he's going to survive. But to me, this movie is really trying to grasp and tackle something a lot of movies don't try to tackle, that pain is inevitable part of life. And that's uh, Liam Neeson's mantra when he's talking about, I will die this day and give it all and fight. It's really talking about, though I am suffering, I can find meaning in my suffering. And it's through my actions that I am taking that I am feeling my life. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a little bit. I wanted to follow up more on it, that they did do specific marketing for Christian audiences. Because well, there's a lot of God in this film. Because there's a lot of God, because there's a lot of trying to have faith that you'll get out of it, feeling like God has abandoned you, or just straight up atheism of just like, there is no God, there is only nature, and it is here to kill us. And it feels completely natural, because these are different people of different beliefs, all facing a high probability of death. And yeah. if you're facing death, the question of what, if anything, comes after my death is going to come up. It's yeah. going to come up. Yeah. So I was... Very pleasantly surprised we got Joe Carnahan back. We yeah. feel like we just talked about, but I can't remember. Narc. Narc that's Narc, right. Yeah. Narc. Mm. And that it's a much more, you know, contemplative and somber mm -hmm. movie with plenty of scary shit and action and everything. Like, yeah, it's, I'm kind of surprised it's coming out here in January, which mm. it, we've just saw it's such a dumping ground because it's, it's a solid watch, man. I last saw it when it came out in theaters in January of 2012, and it has, to me, one of the most memorable death scenes of all time. Fairly early on, after the plane crash, Liam Neeson goes up to a guy, very gravely <laughs> wounded, and just tells him, you're going to die. There's nothing you can do about it. A warmth is going to come over you. If you had anyone who passed before you, maybe they'll come and take you, um, but don't fight it. And... God damn, did that stay mm. with me these last 10 years? Yeah. The point is, it's yeah. not streaming anywhere right now. Huh. You know, I, oh. I, I attribute part of its. I think most people have seen this movie because of how early and long it got on streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those where it's like uh, there's a fair number of people who go see it in the theater. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people are like, I don't know if I want to spend theater money on this, but. Yeah, when yes. it comes to streaming, maybe I'll rent it. Still, I get it red box, whatever. Still a theatrical success, by the way. Like, uh, oh, yeah, okay. In addition to like being a very early streamer, uh, I, I would say this film tackles coldness. Sometimes that can be very hard to yeah. portray in films. That mm. this is really freezing, but it does an amazing job of that. I, I told this story on talking terrific television, uh, but one time when I was in my early twenties, I went to the far end of my college's campus's computer lab i was working on a project wasn't paying any attention and a huge snowstorm came in and i didn't have warm clothes my car was very far away parked off campus it was like 3 4 a.m this was winter break the campus was completely deserted i just get out and i go oh wow this is cold and i start walking through the cold and i am getting mm. colder and colder every step and it is like going wow there's mm. no one around right now I really, really need to get to my car. And then my brain said, why don't you sit down in the snow? <laughs> and holy crud, does this movie mm -hmm. capture that? Because there is a character who goes through that. I didn't sit down in the snow. I'm still alive. I went, brain, don't be a stupid dumbass. We're not sitting down in the snow. But I was that freezing <laughs> that I was just like, maybe I should sit down in the snow. And one of the characters for Jack does Nicholson. exactly that in this film. And it is hmm. powerful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It does get a, a lot of that. Like there is a point where cold just hurts. Yeah. 
Uh, a great companion piece to this film. If you watch it and you still don't want more, I would highly recommend reading Jack London's was, To Light a Fire. I was going to say. Oh, fuck. A Ooh. amazing, amazing piece of writing. That that's the one is where he, classic that, for a reason. Is that the one where he spits in the air and it just explodes, that it freezes and expands so fast that he mm. just keeps spitting to hear explosion noises? Sorry, oh, my, dad lo- my dad is a big Jack London fan. Oh, my God, did I read a lot of Seawolf uh, and <laughs> yeah. White Fang. Yeah, uh, I'm like traumatized by it to to light a fire, man. <laughs> Memories of like, oh, the dog is here. But yeah, a, a, a good. Oh, uh, maybe I should kill the dog, and that would warm out my hands. I can't kill a dog. A, a Don't good, kill the dog. A good. No, he was a... totally down for killing the dog. The dog was just smart enough to go. You're trying to kill me, you rapscallion. We should we should have appreciate our more more survival movies. They they come yeah. about two a year, but um, mm-hmm. they're they're usually pretty okay. Uh, and again, shout out to uh, Guest Laser Time's television show of the year, Yellow Jackets, which I, as the only member of that ensemble, had not watched yet, is very much like this. It's the it's alive with a girls' soccer team in the nineties, and oh, shit. Oh, uh, and damn. and up north. Yeah, I had not not seen it because I would never spend a cent on Showtime. I hate Showtime, and I'll never talk about a Showtime show on this show. Let's move on to TV. Level Up. It premieres on Cartoon Network. I have never. Heard of it, but it sounds like a TV show they have tried to make a thousand times for Gamrars. Mm-hmm. Uh, after high what schoolers if games entered the <laughs> real world, guys. After high schoolers open a portal from a video game called Mount. <laughs> what? I have to keep going with this this description. No, um... <laughs> no. Ran two season. I don't think the writers have ever played a video game, and yeah. they have also never seen two humans talk to each other. <laughs> Touch, which airs on Fox, the pilot airs on Fox, January 25th. Touch centers on a reporter, played by Kiefer Sutherland, and his 11, oh, I do remember this, his 11-year-old son, who has been diagnosed as autistic. Martin's wife died in the World Trade Center during September 11 attacks, and he's been struggling to raise Jake since then, moving from job to job while tending to Jake's special needs. Um, find it hard to make fun of the show after reading this description, but. <laughs> well, it's all about a ratio that is apparently the secret to the universe, and this is, once again, people's seeing patterns where there are no patterns and some uh, screenwriter going what if what if it was a pattern though but what if it was so he's a, a magic special child yeah uh there are this so, is not this, the jock this is not the jack bauer power hour. there are this many letters in touch on fox minus january 25th january 17th 17th q uh we've it's... done it we've done it and then something i wish i could talk about more but uh i had no television during this time but i really like the actors on the show the final episode of chuck airs on nbc uh chuck versus the goodbye on january 27th <laughs> so i watched i think all of season one of chuck and some of season two i fell off not because of the show it was a pleasant show but as the years progressed my viewing time decreased and it was like well i could watch this network show or i could watch high quality premium cable shows and premium cable shows ran out so i watched this finale and i had zero problems jumping back in after this whole time uh everything was smooth chuck was never about plot so much as it was about characters it's a quick-witted show with a lot of heart, and it's pleasant. That's all I can say about it. It begins with a fun, cheesy TV action scene, and the climax of the entire series is there's a bomb in a uh, classical concert that is going to stop when the music stops. So Chuck's friends bust in and start getting a classical rendition of AHA's Take On Me to play mm. so that the <laughs> bomb will not explode. And 
it's just charming. It's a love letters to fans. Uh, there's a bit of ambiguity at the end because it leaves room for a meek, uh, for a sequel movie, which hasn't come. I, I would yeah. say, like, who who owns this shit? Is it NBC? Got to be NBC. Well, I mean, they, no, it's mm-hmm. Warner Brothers actually. Oh, so, uh, okay. so air, aired on NBC. So this seems like the kind of thing that would get people to subscribe to your streaming platform. Do one more Chuck thing. And I always like mentioning my introduction to Zach Levi was being introduced to Zach Levi and talking to him for an hour on a podcast on the Los Angeles convention floor. I'd never seen this show. I didn't know who he was. And someone's <laughs> like, Zach Levi wants to come on the show. I'm like, who the fuck is that? And sits down and he, <laughs> and he was wonderful and awesome to meet one of the coolest guys ever. And I love Tangled and I love Shazam. And I'm wondering nice. now if I should give Chuck a try. Yeah, it's one of these shows where it's like, I everyone I knew who watched it, like, the, the premise just seemed kind of dumb where it's just like an average guy is now involved with the CIA somehow. And it was like, eh, I don't care. And like everyone I knew who watched it was like, oh my God, why isn't everyone watching this? It's so much fun. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. And like, no, it's really charming and quirky. You'll like it. Like, I guess. Got I never got around effect. to it. Oh boy. Almost close up shop. Bad. We got a uh, King Arthur two in the video games category, the role playing war game. Yeah. I wouldn't play this sandal and loin cloth horse shit you paid me and people were paying me to play games back then uh <laughs> did you play this jr no no it looks like a total war game they have like it says uh some role-playing elements where you can go on quests for your character which affects your uh war gaming so uh yeah yeah that's the type of thing this is if you like that type of thing yeah, and uh, before we close out the show, we're going to tell you who lived and who died during this period, including a birthday quiz where I think I am fucking undefeated against Mr. <laughs> Rawls right now. But I want to say you can support us at patreon.com slash time, like our executive producer, Wes. Love you, Wes. But Wes, thank you so much and our many other patrons at patreon.com slash time. Five bucks, we'll try and give you as many uh, exclusive shows to you we can in a week. And last week there was like two and a half. Lots of stuff coming to you. Plenty of laser times as well. We're once again doing our belated uh, best of 2021 movies and TV. And according to the text I just got, we're going to do another movie show with another group of people because I like talking about the best movies of the year because I had a rough year when it came to movies with no movie theaters. And I that, hmm. If you haven't heard my rant on that, I think something happened when I can pause a movie and finish it tomorrow or go pee or watch it in nine sittings that makes it even the greatest film unpalatable. And I tended to enjoy things more or know what I liked more on my second viewing of things. It's a very odd year. For movies for me so i really am ha- having fun with movie discussions again we talked a lot about yellow jackets and more on our best of tv uh, it's me sarah joins us for two of those so if you miss her on this show you have at least two and a half three hours of sarah to come on laser time video game apocalypse this week i really hope we're talking about gaming's greatest trios but i don't know yet because michael keeps changing his mind but michael and matt have been fucking all-stars in the laser time network they're in a bunch of the bonus shows and video game apocalypse will be talking about all the latest video game stuff in addition to a evergreen magazine feature, but kind of the biggest news that has happened in gaming in possibly my lifetime <laughs> occurred this week. So I, I would very much look forward to talking about that this Friday, wherever you get your At podcast. the price tag of 16 Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and a nice amount of billions. Um, 69. Die. where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listeningerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast302010podcast. Coming up next week, it's sort of an oddball week. We don't have any big headliners, I guess. No 
nothing as big as the gray except a movie about teenagers who get superpowers and then they turn into dicks it is i love that movie kind of like juice but with superpowers yeah when oh. someone becomes addicted to murder yes <laughs> jr where can people find you you do another show right i do talking terrific television a chronological examination of the sopranos and this week we are doing the rye they can also find me oh. on the twitter at j-r-r-a-l-l-s and i only pretended i didn't know your show uh, because I've been on it several <laughs> times, and I love The Sopranos again more than most of my family. It's a very, very good show. <laughs> All right, die who died during this period of thirty twenty ten January twenty first to the twenty seventh in nineteen ninety two two thousand two and twenty twelve. Well, in nineteen ninety two, we lost Freddie Bartholomew, who's sixty seven. He was a child actor shit, back in the forties, and also Jose Ferrer, who was eighty. He was an actor. He did Cirque uh, de Bergerac, bunch of other. Things that one page is place. in now. I see it. I'll see it. Yeah, and uh, it's Miguel Ferrer's dad. Yeah, that's what I was figuring. Yep. So, so George Clooney's uncle or something like that. Yeah, but, George you know. Clooney's uncle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then in 2002, we lost Peggy Lee, 81. She's a singer, mm-hmm. sultry singer. And in 2012, that's when we lost Joe Pa, Joe Paterno, who's 85, <laughs> the the coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions football team. Uh, yeah, it's like he lost his job and like lost the will to live. He just immediately died. I, I thought that was almost because there were a bunch of people like, What about poor Joe? I'm like, Do you want to talk about his implications? Oh, he's dead already. We don't have to. You don't have to yeah. mourn. You don't have to get crazy. The guy is dead, and you don't have to worry about how he feels about this scandal. He's gone. Yep. He's and gone. that's it. About yeah. his statue not being erected in this palace of molestation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's gone. Yeah, you can tell people love you when they put up a statue while you're still alive and doing your job. You yeah. haven't even retired, yeah. but they put up a statue of you. Yeah, it's asking for trouble. But with that out of the way, we got to, those who, who are gone, we got to figure out who came into our world with the birthday quiz. Bubble my birthdays! Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, Turning 44 this week. 44, 24? 44. Okay. Is that your age? Four, is that what you're saying? It. Four. Yes. <laughs> this person is younger than me, and I don't like it, though. Um, born January 24th, 1978 in Longmont, Colorado, and grew up on her family's cattle ranch. No fair. JR is living too close to there. He has the advantage. <laughs> I went to that cattle ranch yesterday. (laughs) Ah. She graduated from Northwestern, moved to New York, and six years later was named Best Alternative Comedian at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival and the second winner of the Andy Kaufman Award at New York Comedy Festival. What? What year would she win? That would be like 2007. 2007. Mm -hmm. So, okay. We have talked about a whole bunch of movies that she's in, and like almost none of them are going to help you (laughs) at all. She made her film debut in Kate and Leopold. As Miss Tree. What? Yes. I hope that is literally a tree. Keep going. I hope so. She's also got small parts in Norbit, The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard, Cirque du Freak, The Vampire's Assistant, <laughs> When in Rome, Valentine's Day, but everybody is. Not Amy Schumer? No. No. Shrek Forever After, Get It to the Greek, Dinner for Schmucks, It's not Amy and the Muppets. Sedaria. She's too old. And the Muppets. Nope. And oh, the Muppets. it's Sarah Silverman. Nope. Ah! Oh! Oh! Uh, then who else could it be? She's in the Muppets. She's also in uh, The Heart She Holler, Toy Story 3. Amy Sedaris? Like, no, oh. it's not Amy Sedaris. She's in that, though. <laughs> yeah, all right. Before I get to the ones that will sell, t- totally give it away, it's Toy Story 3, she plays a Kristen new character. Kristen Shaw? It is Kristen Shaw. Thank you. Alternative I was say, She plays oh, yes. a dinosaur. Yes, I, I was thinking, ah, oh, Kristen Shaw should have got that one. Because I knew... And- 
after that is Flight of the Concords or Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that movie trailer looks good. Is it because we're finally going to get to see the Bob's Burgers movie? It looks so it's, good. It's been done for two years. It looks. I, I, I seriously, I tried so hard to not bring that up in the Tim and Eric discussion because Tim and Eric were shooting their show in widescreen. It's like, well, what do you need a movie budget for? And I said the same thing about Bob's Burgers. And I saw that trailer. I'm like, you went out of your way to make this look theatrical and fluid and insane. Holy Lord. I cannot yeah. wait to see this. It's beautiful. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Love Bob's Burger. Did I Happy win that birthday, one too? Christian Shaw, you weirdo. Yep. I think you're undefeated against Jr. Oh, Jr. JR. You keep yep. coming, Sorry. coming up just, just slightly short. No, I think he's. I think he's pulling we'll some. Say, he's some maverick thing. He's going to let me lose for a month so he can learn my tells. And, it's uh, it's the Jeopardy problem. I I can't <laughs> click the buzzer fast mm. enough. Loud enough. Yeah. Oh. Oh, hell yeah. But thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We, as always, have a great time doing it, but it takes some time, effort, and money to put together. So patreon.com slash laser time is a great way to say thank you in the new year. Are we, we're going to close out with uh, the Juice song. I do like the Juice song. It's called Juice. Know the yeah, Ledge. Yeah, I thought we should close out with the, the theme song from Juice, Know the Ledge by Eric B. and Rakeem. Eric because B. And Rakeem. it's a fucking good song. The whole mm-hmm. soundtrack, man. Yeah. It's really good. My well, dog's very excited about it. <laughs> that or you're <laughs> that or you're about to eat, and I'm totally jealous. But thank you guys again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Time to build my juice back up, pop that gun. Suckers get smacked up, don't doubt the clout. You know what I'm about. I don't get sore, knocking it down, shaking them up, waking them up, breaking them up, breaking them up, standing on shaky ground, too close to the edge. Let's see if I know the ledge. 